Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. everyone and happy president's day from the opening drive on 101 happy president's day here matthew is here i'm randy it is seven o'clock in st louis your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler brooke grimsley how was your weekend oh my weekend was good good it snowed so that was weird it was kind of weird it was not great i I didn't uh, you, you know, didn't enjoy the snow? No, I didn't. Really? I, I, I kind of liked it a, li- a little bit, even though it was really, really warm the other day prior. Uh, so it's crazy to go from warm to snowing a lot. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Back to warm. Um, yeah, I, I just, I hate the hassle. And by the way, uh, good job by MoDOT. And uh, on the Missouri side of the river, our mm-hmm. roads were taken care of the yeah. night before. So they did a really good job. Thank you to them for their hard work. And I know they stay up all hours to make the roads clean and safe. So they did a really good job. I just, I- I'm so sick of Mother Nature. I just, <laughs> uh, you know, I-, I want cold to be 55. Cold to be 55? Uh, yeah, yeah. You need to be in Jupiter I right need to, now. I need That's to be, where you need to be. I, I need to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I need to be somewhere. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to Arizona. And you're going to Arizona in a couple weeks. I'm I going am. to Arizona in a couple weeks. Yeah, we're, we're just, Matthew's been uh, to, uh, in the last what, calendar year, you've been to uh, the Valley of the Sun. So yeah, we should all, uh, we should, you know, we should just do our show from there. That oh, is yeah. a cool. great I'm, idea. I'm heading out to the desert in March. Yeah, so, you are yeah. too. Yeah, not 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 Arizona, but <laughs> yeah. I'm heading out to a, to the desert in March. So oh, it's cool. yeah. well, how was your weekend, Randy? Uh, it was good. I had fun, and this is going to be uh, three things from the weekend coming up. I went, uh, and this was part of the snow. I went to the gymnastics meet on yes. Friday night, and it was pretty cool. Uh, we'll talk about that in three things that we loved from the weekend. Uh, yours was good, except for a, a rude bartender. Uh, yeah, I had an experience at a restaurant. And as you guys know, I've worked in the service industry. I understand completely how stressful it is and how places are at times understaffed. I just had a weird experience. You know, a Saturday night, we went out to this restaurant and we sat at the bar and the bartender seemed to be just a little bit perturbed by any bar guests that sat down there. It was a small bar and he seemed busy. So I 100% understood. I didn't have any problem with that. Now, the problem I had is when these two lovely women sat down at the bar and they waited for, it felt like I think almost five minutes for him to give attention and he kept looking at him, but he was just ignoring them. And they were like very nicely, hey, um, can we get a drink and like just maybe a snack? And he put it in. They had their drink and snack and they left because obviously if you're not feeling very welcomed at a restaurant or bar, you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. It happens, right? And after they left, to the couple right next to us, I'm guessing the girl worked there, very loudly he said, I don't know why they wanted a snack. They don't need that based off of their weight. Ooh. Ooh. And I was shocked. Whatever with, you know, how long it takes for food, anything, I completely understand how busy restaurants got. But at the same time, 
That's a very rude. Just go to the back of the house. Back of the house is in the kitchen. Worked in the service industry. People who know that as well. That's where you can have like your gab session and your little vent therapy session with all the other people. Don't do that in front of customers. No, that's really that, that's weak. And you know that's even if you're a really good restaurant. That'll cause you to lose customers, right? Yeah. One person can have such an effect, and then word of mouth, and mm-hmm. it, it can really bring things down. And it's, yeah, that's unfortunate. It is. And I do understand, you know, I've been on the other side of some tough customers, but you ha- you just kind of have to deal with it. It's part of it. It's part of that industry. It's what you have to do. And also, at the end of the day, as long as somebody's being nice to you, mm-hmm. and that's extra food, which means a bigger bill, a bigger chance to make a bigger tip. But if you're not exactly being nice to them, you're not going to get a great tip out of that person. Person, most likely. No, you're exactly right. And you, you'd think that somebody, a veteran in the industry, would get it, but hey, it gives us something to talk about on the radio, too. It does. <laughs> so now I, I know some people are saying, call the restaurant out. <sighs> no. I can't. Here's the thing. Yeah, and I also, Randy, I was talking to you about this. I was like, I can't leave a review at places, even if it's good or negative. Well, good, I can. I do do that. But if it's negative, then you just never know like how things spin. But I'm a very understanding person when it comes to the restaurant industry because I have worked in it, dealt with so many different types of restaurants, stories, customers, crazy experiences. I get that. But at the end of the day, I felt like it also just kind of helped me grow as yeah. a person mm-hmm. and you kind of have yeah. to take that out of it yeah. and, and yeah, right and hopefully that person does grow as a person here's the thing when we talk we, we can affect somebody's livelihood we can affect somebody's business if we take a shot at somebody or out the restaurant and, and i don't want to out the ownership and the other employees of a restaurant because of the activities negative activities of one person whether it's on social media leaving a review or whether it's saying something on the radio i just don't want to affect that many people's livelihoods and so uh because there are going to be people that listen to us that trust us that say i'm not going to that place so we just don't want to do that and i'm like you i will leave a positive review or if somebody leaves a negative review about a particular place somebody left a negative review about cecil whitaker's up here uh, at uh, olive and ross Mm -hmm. and i go to cecil whitaker's a lot and it's good so I gave a positive review. Say I've always had good, uh, good experiences there. So if I have a good experience, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention that. And it happens. You know, sometimes it's an off night. I've been there several other times before. The owner there is absolutely great. I think it was just a completely off night. And somebody asked if he meant weight or weight, talking about weight, and I'm talking about weight and size. Yeah, he made sure he kept going on and on, emphasizing their weight, like how, yeah. you know, their size. The there was no way to misconstrue that. He made it very clear that he didn't think they needed a snack because of their size. That's not good. No, not, not, not good. good but other than that... Great weekend. Great weekend. We yeah, it <laughs> broke like the snow even. Uh, not a great weekend for our St. Louis Blues. Uh, they were in it after two periods and things fell apart in the third. They lost to the Preds by a score of 4-1. to one. Blues with a President's Day game today. Pre-game at 11 o'clock and a noon face-off. Don't forget that, Blues players. I know you're listening. You aren't headed to practice today. You're headed to a game. And you'll hear it here on um, <laughs> 101 ESPN. That will be very important. We yeah. we need a bounce back, especially after that when it gets the Preds, I guess, Randy. I guess the Preds have our number, huh? Is that also, what it is? Yeah. Also, we gotta we gotta apologize to Nathan Walker. We shorted him a goal on that one. They, they lost that. They lost that one uh, five to two. Oh, Nathan, five to two. Nathan, Nathan Walker got one late. Oh, Nate up. Yeah. Uh, Nate, Nate Walker oh, got one. And then Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. The yeah. traitor. Yeah, the traitor. The traitor. <laughs> it is yeah. really weird seeing him with the Nashville Predators. I don't like it, Randy. 
I, I like ha- him having success, and he's having of a course. really good year. I, yeah. I thought last year he was done. I thought that he, he had slowed down significantly. Maybe he just needed a, a year off from, well, he did play in the playoffs, but he got hurt. He, he, he had a lot of time to rest his legs. I think that O'Reilly's one of those guys who overworks himself. He does. And probably caused him to slow down, but he looked really good. He looked like... Uh, 2019 version Ryan O'Reilly the other day. He's revived. Yeah, is that what does. you're saying? Yeah. But what I just didn't like about that game is that obviously this is two teams that are vying for the wild card. And right now the Blues are two points ahead of the Predators, but still they could have been a little bit more ahead mm-hmm. if they would have beat the Predators. And it just felt like in a desperation game like that, you didn't see the Blues answer the call in that way. They were not. And the Blues are average. And that's that's what's going to happen to average teams. But we've seen them be above average, though. That's the thing, but I don't think it's reasonable because of a lot of things inherent in this particular team. I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to be above average on a regular basis. When they play great, they're really good, mm-hmm. but they they just aren't capable of playing great for the vast majority of their games. I, I would say they're capable of playing great more than half the games, but there's a mental aspect to being a really good hockey team, a mental aspect that includes coming in and playing hard on a regular basis. I don't think the Blues have that in them. I really don't. I, there, there are players that are physically limited. Look look at the bottom six, okay? Yeah. Because normally we said it a lot, and it's not a criticism. They're really good. NA, they're hockey players. They're in the NHL. But for the Blues... 2019 champions, their third line would have been their fourth line. And the fourth line would have been the fourth line. So their bottom six is really they they don't have a top nine. They have a top six and a bottom six. That's a part of it. And then the other part of it is, I think, Brooke, what happens, and we're so laser focused on the Blues, we don't look I don't look as much at other hockey teams. But I think with this particular group of Blues, and I don't know why it is, but they play those, they've won 8 of 11. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's nights where they think they're better than they really are and they just don't exhibit the effort that they're that, that they show when they're really good. You think that's what it is? I think it's just really interesting that we're still talking about here in February about them having a connectivity issue. Mm-hmm. You notice that that it feels like they're not connected in those games that you're yeah. talking about when things just really fall apart where wait, what just happened? You guys looked really great, great chemistry, things are working out, and then all of a sudden the connection's just not there in these games. I think it's the difference between good and great. That what we saw was in 2019 was great. And the, the mental aspect of it, the connectivity is part of it. The mm-hmm. being engaged on a regular basis is part of it. I don't think that this group, as a group of players, 12 forwards, six defensemen on a typical night, I don't think they are as consistently engaged as that Stanley Cup championship team was. And we can talk about this a little bit later, or we can talk about this now, but do we need to talk about the whole Jordan Bennington incident at the end, towards the end of the game with Luke Evangelista, the high sticking? Yeah, uh, was that purposeful or was it not? Uh, no, it's it's. He got fined, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's frustration on his part. That's who he is. Yeah, and we in St. Louis, the the rest of the league hates it. We love the competitiveness and the frustration with what we're talking about with yeah. the lack of connectivity. I would do that if I were him. I. I thought I thought the I thought the, the officiating in that game was an absolute joke. Okay, well, you get yeah. the, I mean the 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 penalty the penalty. Uh, I mean they, they they run into one of the blues. Because he's not looking, and that's apparently interference when two players just aren't looking, and that's just a tie-up. I don't know how you call that for a penalty. And then I don't. I think Bennington stick didn't move. 
He, he, his eyes weren't on. His eyes weren't there. You could see. Yeah, he moved. He was I, looking I, straight forward. I, yeah, he's looking straight forward, and he just runs into the stick. How are you going to yeah. penalize the goalkeeper, the, the right. tender for that? That's yeah. that's that was a joke of an officiated game, and those were the two worst things at at the end of a game that was very poorly officiated overall. And I think the thing is too is that with Jordan Bennington, sometimes people assume the worst mm-hmm. because of the past. But I feel like he right. has handled himself really well this season. But I don't know if you guys on social media, it was like as soon as Jordan Bennington does anything Mm -hmm. that can be misconstrued as bad or could look bad it is talked about over and over and over and over again by people around the league right and unfortunately that's what he has brought upon himself not now but in his first few years in the league and Mm -hmm. when you're winning a stanley cup people say oh cool uh but when you're struggling a little bit and people perceive him as struggling even though he's not he's not but around the league, because his numbers aren't there, mm-hmm. people perceive him as struggling. They say, "Oh, he's uh, he's just gone off and uh, he's gone on a rampage again." And that's that couldn't be further from the truth. And I know that it wasn't great goaltending overall in that game, but Jordan Bennington also can't be your superhero every right. single game. I feel I feel like that's one of the things that just really fell through is that they have been so reliant, and we've heard them talk about it. We've talked to Robert Thomas about this, about how good Jordan Bennington has been and how he, how he has really just bailed them out of games at times. But that was a game where it showed he can't be your superhero every single game. Yeah, you're not going to win many scoring two. Here's what happened the rest of the weekend. Bad night for Mizzou against Ole Miss Saturday, 79. 76. The Rebels win it. Mizzou now 0 and 12 in SEC play. One of the worst teams in in America. They really are, and it's. I think Dennis Gates will bounce back, but. 0-12 0-12 in conference play is 0-12 in conference play, and that's about as bad as, well, I don't know if you can get worse than 0-12. Yeah, I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can, but no. how, are you, how do you think? I feel like you have a good pulse on the Mizzou community and the athletics program over there. Do you feel like people are frustrated and that they're okay? Not okay with losing in this manner, mm-hmm. but just okay with this is just one year. We saw what he did in year one. It will be fine next year. I think that they look at this as a one-off. They lost a couple of really good players. They didn't do well in the transfer portal. They've Mm -hmm. had injuries, and they've got a really nice young class coming in. Now, he's got a lot of work to do, Dennis Gates does, but uh, the sense I get is that they're looking at this as a one-off. Yeah. So, And hopefully that's the case. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, while... Ole Miss beat Mizzou. Slew lost on Friday night to VCU. Allowed 95. 95-85 was the final. Sincere Parker with 30 for his third consecutive 30-point effort. And 14th-ranked Illinois over Maryland, 85-80. Golf at the Hennessy Invitational. I, I, uh, this is yeah, this is Cabrera's tournament. The I was going to say, wait a second. The, wait, the a minute, hold on a second. <laughs> wait a second. Hold on a second. Wait a second. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. This is the Cabrera tournament. (laughs) That's what you know. What the Cardinals play? He's is he still on the Blue Jays? Yeah, he's Carlos play the Blue Jays this oh, year. Yeah, they play everybody. Yeah. Oh, then we got our, that, that. That series is now the Hennessy's Invitational. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's a hundred percent Invitational. Hideki Matsuyama fired a closing sixty-two and won easily. Almost tied the course record. If he would have hit a putt on eighteen, he would have tied the course record. But finished with a sixty-two and one. Congratulations to Hideki at the NBA All Star Game. They scored almost four hundred points last night. Uh, the, what was the final score? I didn't even look at the final score, but it, they scored 396 between them. 215 Good to God. One, yeah, 215 to 180 or something yeah. like that. Good God. I will, I will be really honest with you guys. Because of that final score and just seeing that it's not much of a true game, it's just oh. more of a experience, I guess. Yeah, I didn't watch until the very end. I watched the beginning, but I didn't watch until the very end. How do you guys feel about the All-Star game? 
Uh, well, there, there's no defense. I, a friend was texting me about how great American Idol was. By the way, Ricky <laughs> Prohl's son on American Idol. Really? Yeah, Blake, who played with the Vikings on American Idol. And I yeah. said, I, I said, uh, you're seeing as much defense on American Idol as I'm seeing in the NBA All-Star <laughs> game. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, the final score was 211 to 186. Dame Lillard scored 39. He was the uh, MVP. Carl Anthony Towns had 50. By the way, uh, for God. yeah, so for for the West and uh, the three point uh, battle between uh, Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu on uh, Saturday was awesome. It was great, and so congratulations to them. And uh, that kind of brings you up to date on the weekend. The Blues, as we mentioned, uh, with the President's Day noon contest today at Enterprise Center. Nice, yeah, good day for President's Day. We need to it discuss is. later our favorite random presidents. Okay. We can do that. And people I, can I, text I like in, too. Because, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, everybody has their favorite yeah. favorite presidents, yeah. but who's your favorite yeah. random president that maybe doesn't get as much attention as they should? I think that's a good idea. Rocky we, we, was we, very we, excited about this. Or worried. I don't know. I don't have <laughs> I don't have secretly favorite presidents. I have secretly least favorite presidents. Oh, no, but we're doing the other way. Random. Maybe yeah. they have yeah. a cool story. Random. Okay. So, and by the way, Chris Zimmerman, I know he's listening. Happy president. Normally we get Chris and we get uh, Bill DeWitt on. And uh, last year we had Carolyn on and the Diego. Uh, I, I just didn't, I wasn't working ahead. I wasn't thinking President's Day. But to all of our sports team presidents today, happy presidents. Happy President's Day. Yeah, you guys are great. Coming up, three things we love from the weekend on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, three things we love from the weekend here on 101 ESPN. And I will get started with number three. Uh, Brooke, I mentioned it earlier in the show, but on Friday night, we, my daughter is a huge fan of gymnastics, and we mm-hmm. had an opportunity to go over to Family Arena, and we watched the the meet between Mizzou, they were the hosts, Florida, Illinois, and Lindenwood, and congratulations to the Lions. Their, their program is being disbanded after this year, but their girls are doing a great job. But what's cool is the incredible athleticism, especially when you see in person. Did you go a couple of years ago to I did. The, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the incredible athleticism of these ladies when they perform and the, the way, the length of time that they can spend in the air, not on their feet or on their hands and the, the athleticism is remarkable. And it was really fun to see uh, this competition and it is legitimate competition and these young ladies are incredible athletes. It was really fun to watch. So you got to see is it Mara Titar Soli? She With, had the perfect she 10 had the on perfect the bars. perfect 10 on the bars first yeah. ever for Mizzou. Uh, yeah, we, we got a chance to see her, and uh, then we got a chance to see Liam Wong, who's going to wind up on the Olympic team. Uh, she's from Florida, and she won the event, mm-hmm. uh, and she's she's the best. But, uh, yeah, it was it was cool, to, and the bars were right in front of us, so we got a chance to see that Mizzou performance. I truly enjoy going to those gymnastics meets as well because there's always so much going on. So there's never just like a dull moment. There's mm-hmm. always a different competition, different things to pay attention to. I really enjoy watching it. I caught I caught a highlight of the, I believe it was the Illinois girls uh, floor routine that was mm-hmm. unfreaking believable the what way they were able to do, pull off it was incredible the way they they jump in the they, they they've got to stay in the air for a second and a half two seconds is incredible I could not do that and it is I think they make it look so easy mm-hmm. when it definitely isn't yeah. I can barely do a cartwheel <laughs> can, can you imagine <laughs> practicing on those bars for the first time 
that that would be so terrifying. Doing the the spins and the twists and stuff. Yeah. Amazing. It, they it really, really are. is. It was fun to see. That's awesome. Well, my number three thing from this weekend is I really always enjoy, it's one of my favorite moments of spring training is when Ozzie Smith arrives. And this weekend, he arrived to Jupiter for spring training. And Randy, you know Ozzie really, really well. Mm-hmm. And he is so kind. And when he says something about a certain player, he doesn't just say it. Like, you know how Ozzy is. If he doesn't feel a certain way about a player, he's not going to go out of his way to really bring it up. <laughs> but he had some comments. Yeah. You're laughing because I feel like you know some stories. Yeah. 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 One time yeah. Matthew and I were out playing golf and ran into Ozzy, and he, he, was, he was honest with us. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give me a hint of the story? You don't have to tell me the player, but maybe a hint of the story. Uh, the, okay. I I will just give you a direct quote. I'm not going to. Okay. I'm not going to. He won a gold glove. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, in between the break, you're going to have to tell me who exactly he was talking about. But you know, Ozzy is very honest. And when he compliments a player, he truly, truly means it. And he went out of his way. Benjamin Hockman has this story currently on the Post-Dispatch. He went out of his way to talk about Mason Wynn, how he thinks that Mason Wynn is really one of those guys where you have the people who not only just want to work, but work hard and are willing to take their game to the next level and really put forth the blood, sweat, and tears. And he says that Mason Wynn has that. Ozzy just doesn't say that about players. No, and Mason Wim will do. He's not, I'm gonna not going to say would do. He will do because he's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He'll do very well to just to glom on to Ozzie Smith because Ozzie is accessible to him every single day. Yes. And I will also say this, that Ali Marmol should tell his staff just stay away. If Ozzie's going to coach him, let Ozzie coach him. Mm-hmm. Okay? All due respect to Stubby Clapp. You made it to the majors as an infielder. But would you rather have Ozzie Smith teaching your shortstop or Stubby Clap? And, and this is all due respect to Stubby. But stay away. Do everything you can to avoid messing the kid up. And we're just so lucky to have a guy and a legend mm-hmm. like Ozzie Smith who is willing to go down there and truly work with these players, those young players. He's not just you know talking to the veterans. He really picks up young players and helps them with their game. I remember five years ago when I went to spring training and Tommy Edmond, I believe was just kind of coming up at that moment and he went out of his way to talk to Tommy Edmond and I talked to Tommy afterward to interview him and he was like, that was the coolest thing uh-huh. ever. He was like, I didn't even think that Ozzy knew who I was and that started, I felt like a really good relationship between them and also gave Tommy a lot of confidence right. moving forward. That's a great thing. Number number two all right, uh, Brooke, since it is President's Day, the, we're going to do the whole weekend. And thanks to our friends at St. Louis City SC, they brought in new road kits that uh, we got on Friday. And they're incredible. They're high quality. They're beautiful. City did just a fantastic job in developing their, their new kit. It, it is fantastic. And they start tomorrow, by the way, uh, over at City Park. Houston? Or is Houston that, Dynamo, yes. Yeah, Houston. I call them Dynamo. Uh, but our, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I can do that. But our girl Michelle Smallman on national TV this morning wearing yes. her City SC kit. So uh, she uh, is. Yeah. So it's she's making sure to represent, and and we're proud of that. And uh, I'll tell you what, that's a that's a good looking kit. It and looks oh, by the way, so good. Yeah, it, it really does. The quality, mm-hmm. the quality, high quality. Of it. High they clearly quality. didn't get them from Fanatics. No. 
Also, Unsportsmanlike put out a video on Twitter of her talking about the kits. If uh-huh. you want to go wa- watch and see it, here's my thing. I bet she taught a lot of people on the coasts that the Missouri and the Mississippi River actually <laughs> hit each other at one point. Yeah. <laughs> like, I bet there's like, as she was going through the confluence thing, I'm like, I bet she taught a lot of people on the coast some really random Midwestern geography today. That's great. <laughs> That's always important and good. Exactly. It looks great. Well, my number two thing from this weekend is going to be Sabrina Ionescu. What she was able to do in that three-point contest, first of its kind, by the way, her and Steph Curry, you could also just really enjoy seeing the respect that Steph, and what are you laughing about, Randy? Why didn't she use the WNBA three-point line? Oh, no. <laughs> I know what you're doing there. Why did they ruin that moment right there at the end? I Kenny Smith is. You know what we're talking about with yeah, Kenny Smith? Yeah, Kenny Smith is. He <laughs> had a bad weekend. It was, it was a just weekend. a good made-for-TV moment. Steph, you could really tell, has so much respect for Sabrina. And by the way, he edged her just by a little bit, 29 to 26. She even stepped back. But what you're talking about, the comment is just like it was a great moment. And then all of a sudden that comment was made. And it's like, what? Why are we doing this? This is just just let the moment be. It was a great moment. And she was close. And by oh, by the way, this is somebody that Kobe Bryant totally embraced. Yes. She is just such a great representative of the WNBA and Mm -hmm. of the sport. And she was actually trying to do what the men do with her ball because women generally have smaller hands than men do. So she was using a WNBA ball. I have no problem with that. And if she wants to shoot from the NBA three, rather than the WNBA three, take an extra couple of feet, why would anybody complain about that? Yeah. And her 26 points tied Lillard's number from the NBA three-point contest that took place earlier that evening. So it's still impressive. I just hate when little comments like that take away just from the good moment that it was. Yeah, yeah, three things we loved. We loved that. Of the, course. We love the competition. Yes. Yeah, that was easily the best part of All-Star Weekend. And if you watched the, the dunk contest, which if you didn't, you made a better decision than I did. Kenny the Jet Smith had a rough weekend. He was really? terrible during the dunk contest. He, was, I mean, it was rough the entire weekend. I'm not sure if he's just angry, mm. but it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> Number one. All right, uh, Brooke, I got up this morning, got out to go to my car, and it was 6.15, and the sun was rising. Oh. So here we are on President's Day weekend. And as even on Friday when I got out to my car, it was dark. So the times they are a changing and spring it's coming. And it's <laughs> it was great to see the, the sun rising. Granted, it was 27 degrees. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> but it's going to get up to 67 on Wednesday. And that, to me, is a telling day when I walk outside to drive to work and the sun is coming up. And it was fantastic. Brandy, I know why you're excited. Because golf. Golf weather. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly. why. Because yes. It's, my, my whole life, is, all you have to do is say, yeah, because golf. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Because of golf. I, I, I was very excited to have the warm sun this morning. It was still a little chilly mm-hmm. because of the snow that's on the ground. But you know what, Randy? For my number one, I'm actually going the opposite way. I enjoyed the snow this weekend. (laughs) I enjoyed the snow this weekend, and I am a warm weather gal. If I choose a vacation, it's going to be warm weather related. I truly enjoy it. But it was nice to have just one last little, I guess you couldn't say little because it actually stuck. I was surprised. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't say little at that point. But I enjoyed just the last big-ish snowfall. And Stevie, my little doggy, absolutely loves snow. She will just run outside and just get the zoomies out there. Uh And it's so fun to watch and just eat globs of snow. Does she, because uh, Moose, the dog, 
gets cold. And Maggie the dog does not understand the concept of she cold weather. She does not. No, she does not get cold. We do have a little sweater for her mm-hmm. if she wants to wear it, but she just truly enjoys going out there and just running around in the snow. Yeah, I, I, Maybe the moose thing. I, I think moose in general just does not think that the outdoors is cool. No. Uh, no, he's, he, he would not survive well in the wild. <laughs> he likes indoor yeah. only. Yeah, couches. <laughs> beds yeah i don't blame him honestly that's life he's he's got a pretty good life uh that's three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 espn coming up our friend katie Wu has an early breakdown of the cardinal bullpen with a a, a surprising omission that's next on 101 espn the smartest way to do your homework is heckman lumber Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Envision, Azek, and decorators to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Stop by and see Hackman's expanded paint department, too, with brushes, rollers, painter's tape, and four different lines of interior and exterior paint. Custom color match available. Visit Hackman Lumber's newly remodeled stores in St. Peter's and Pacific, or their showroom in Troy, Missouri. Hackman Lumber. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brooke and Randy with you on the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack will rejoin us tomorrow for the rest of the week. Happy President's Day if you're enjoying this day off. Uh, have, a, have a great time with the President's Day. Uh, Go out. How do you celebrate President's Day? That's what I was going to think about. What's, what's a good president's food? I don't know. Cherries. But then, yeah, Rock, didn't you say that that's more of a myth and you just kind of ruined my oh, yeah, the, history The lessons? George Washington cherry tree thing is apocryphal. It's it's not like a real story. It's... It is a real story. And I, don't try to convince me of otherwise. Because <laughs> okay. I'm going to have a cherry pie today. There you go. That is there a very go. good way think, to celebrate President's Day. I think Abraham Lincoln Day. might have lied. Oh. Uh, no. Like at one point in his life. No, he is honest, Abe. Don't you dare say that about him. Pie pizza? The guy was born in Kentucky. I just don't trust him. Pie, what does Kentucky have to do with it? What did pie Kentucky pizza? do to you? I want to see if the Tennessee person would react to a Kentucky joke, and he did. Oh. Okay, interesting. Katie Wu wow. has a piece up at The Athletic right now, and she says, as the Cardinals piece together their opening day bullpen, five relievers are more or less already counted for. Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, Jojo Romero, Andrew Kittredge, and Keenan Middleton should make up the back end of the bullpen. Those are five guys. That leaves three. That leaves three remaining spots, or two, if the Cardinals open with six starting pitchers. As the first week of camp comes to a close, let's look at four relievers who have made strong impressions on the Cardinals staff. Riley O'Brien is one of those. He's got the great sweeper and has a chance to make the team. Uh, She also lists uh, Nick Robertson, who came over in the trade for Tyler O'Neill, And she lists Matthew Libertor. And this is what struck me, Brooke. She writes about... Libertor, because of their challenging schedule to open the regular season, the Cardinals might open the year with a temporary six-man rotation. St. Louis kicks off with the eight straight games and will have just one day off over the first two weeks. And the Cardinals, if the Cardinals are looking to tab a swingman, Libertor is the likely front runner given his experience in both spot starting and relieving. 
I find this interesting because nowhere in this article is Zach Thompson's name mentioned. I was going to say there's a very key name not mentioned here, and that's Zach Thompson. Now, my first initial reaction is why wouldn't you have Zach Thompson as a part of your opening day roster? But Randy, is it just more because of everything that they did with Zach Thompson last year where they had him coming out of the pen, have him stretching out to be a starter again in the minors, and then coming up and being a starter again, which I thought he looked really good, by the Mm -hmm. way, and he handled that situation really well, but they also admitted that they didn't want to do that again to him. Is that what this is about, is that they don't want to have to put him in the pen and then make him a starter again, and they just want him to be a starter in the minors until they're ready for him? Well, if you're going to go with a six-man rotation, I think he proved enough down the stretch last year that he should be here. Mm-hmm. He would, every single player would rather be in the majors than the minors. 100%. Even if it counts him having to be a reliever at the beginning of the season. But I just anticipated that he and Mats were vying for the sixth spot. And I guess Libertor is vying for that spot. And that, if it's Libertor, would leave two spots down there. I'm guessing that with Romero there, that another one of those will be perhaps a left-hander. But she also lists Fernandez. Uh, and, and there's uh, Riley uh, O'Brien apparently has really opened eyes with the sweeper. And by the way, let's talk about the sweeper. Because oh, John yes. Denton said yesterday that his sweeper <laughs> is breaking 21 inches horizontally, right? Uh-huh. Does that mean you have to start the ball at the hip of the hitter so that you can throw a strike? Because the the, the plate is only 18 and a half inches wide. Mm-hmm. If you're throwing a pitch that's breaking 21 inches, it seems like you have to be throwing way inside just to get a strike on the outside corner. I, th- I just love your kind of hatred for the sweeper. Is it just because it's the term of it? Yeah, because it's they, they used to call the, the split finger fastball a drop yeah. or a fork ball. And then it became, and it became all the rage when it became the split finger fastball, <laughs> and now a slider that doesn't drop is called a sweeper. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Gibson threw that pitch in 1968 and had a 1.12 ERA. Mm-hmm. Sergio Romo had a whole career of throwing the sweeper. So <laughs> it's not like it's a new it's thing. It's not a new it, thing. No, it's just no. a new name. No, exactly. Uh, uh, I, I wonder if Shohei Otani just mispronounced it and they said, "Oh, cool, new pitch." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna really, Sweeper. we're gonna run with this thing. It looks like something we've seen before, but you know what? We we really like to rebrand this right now. I do think that Riley O'Brien. I'm glad that she brought him up in the article because last week when we were talking about intriguing names to make the bullpen, he was the guy that I tabbed as the one that I feel like could really, really be a person who makes this bullpen because they have just a few spots. I think this leaves three remaining spots right now with the bullpen. You have Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, Jojo Romero, Yoho Romero, excuse me, Andrew Kittredge and Middleton. And now you have Libertor. Is it just more that they see Libertor as a swingman in this situation and they just like that and they don't want to see Zach Thompson as a swingman? I could absolutely see that. I wonder what the chances would be of them coming north with both Libertor as the sixth starter, with the knowledge that you're going to use yes. a six-man rotation, and Zach Thompson as a relief pitcher. Ooh, Zach Thompson as a relief pitcher? Wouldn't yeah, like, you kind of like to switch it a little bit? Yes, I would. So have Thompson be the sixth starter? That's what I would prefer to see. Yes, I I think that they, one, I think it's a good idea if they go with a six-man rotation, and I know that's a very triggering word, but this is just because of how daunting that schedule is at the beginning of the season. I mean, Randy, I don't know if you have the schedule up right now, but you've gone through it before. That is a really, really tough way to start your season. A lot of games against a lot of really good teams, and 
let's keep in mind that you want to preserve these old vintage Vintage. Seasoned. Seasoned. We like seasoned. Seasoned. Starting pictures. You don't want to wear them out in April and May. You want to have these guys be available in August, September, and hopefully October. So it makes sense to me to limit their innings early so that they can be horses late. And they aren't going to be in their best condition either. You work their way to doing seven innings slowly rather than right off the bat. They are Max Scherzer. None of these guys are. What do you think that they've seen from Libertor so early? Because it's just been a week, so mm-hmm. early in spring training where they tab him for this role. He actually said that he is not thinking too much. And it's interesting. He said, uh, his quote to Katie was, I'd say this year I've done a lot more forward planning for the uncertainty I faced over the last couple of years. He said, I'm trying to be proactive in putting together plans if I'm going to be a re- in a reliever role or a starter role and what that looks like. I'm putting systems in place to make sure if there's any uncertainty again that I'm able to handle it better than I did last year. The big thing with him is to not think. And Brad Thompson, after he had that unbelievable start last year in Tampa, said, what was the difference? And Libertor said, essentially, to paraphrase, I didn't think. I just threw. And you trust what your catcher is doing, and and you throw. And I think that's the key for Matthew Libertor, is to not overthink things. And if if he just lets it fly, he's got the stuff that allows him to be dominant. I remember, I think it was very early on in his career and during his time with the Cardinals too, that he was working with, I believe, some sort of life coach to help with him Mm -hmm. with that, where he could kind of really meditate in certain ways and not think as much on the mound. So it's very interesting. I wonder if he went back to that in some way or if it's something that he's continuing to work on. But that is a big part of pitching, right? You you almost need to have a goldfish-like memory. Yeah. You just have to get over it quickly. Yeah. How do we know what goldfish's memories are, really? That's a great question. I don't mm. know. Do we have a rock? Now rock's going to Google it right yeah, now. What's a, what's a goldfish memory? <laughs> no. By the way, I, I also also want to mention Nick Robertson, who Katie yes. wrote about, uh, because he has shown a lot early on a four seam fastball that averages ninety five, a changeup, and a slider, and he's caught the Cardinals' attention early on. And he says, I like to attack guys and get ahead. Any count that I can be ahead in, more times than not, is I'm going to be successful. So that's one guy. And let's not forget, and I'm being dead serious here, let's not forget that Wilking Rodriguez is in camp. Because the Cardinals loved him <laughs> last year. And they, Mo did say that that was one of the reasons that the Cardinals weren't good last year, because Wilking Rodriguez got hurt. I wonder if he's going to get more of an opportunity than other guys because he's Wilking Rodriguez. Randy, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't even realize that he was at <laughs> camp, camp until you just mentioned that. Yep, he's there. He Number is? 58. I, I think it would be a giant surprise if somehow now he's a big factor. But as you mentioned, he was a big factor for the Cardinals last in season the, the because he wasn't there. Yeah, They were relying on him. <laughs> they were. They were. <laughs> it's World Baseball Classic, Wilking Rodriguez. Yeah. And let me just... When, do, you're, when you're ranking yeah. the things that fell oh, apart. The, yeah, World Baseball Classic was one. Rodriguez is two. I just want to check here. Matthew, any uh, info on the goldfish memory? Uh, yes, the goldfish memory thing is another piece of apocrypha. It's wrong. It's not true. It's a myth. Okay. There's no scientific backing that says I have a three-second memory. Okay. We've been duped again, Randy. I have. I guess because they're little, and so we just assume that they have tiny brains. Is that what it is? That's probably it. I think, like, people always say, like, that's why they they always just, like, swim in circles Mm. and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I don't know. It's it's not true. Okay. It makes sense now now that we're trying to explain it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) By the way, they have to get Wilking Rodriguez. He can start in the minors. Yeah. Get him here. (laughs) By June 6th. Uh, there you for go. For June 6th. There you go. 
June 6th is the 10-year anniversary of his last Major League appearance. The 10-year anniversary? Uh-huh. Last pitch, <laughs> June 6th of 2014. Wow. So get him That's back a, here and let him be dominant. That is a stat I did not know. And I don't know if I wanted to know that, Randy. Thank you for that. I need to have a goldfish memory to forget about that. <laughs> he's, he's got, at least his picture, his picture in, at Baseball Reference, he's got like a James Harden beard, too. Fear oh, the beard. Wow. So we're going to have that going for us as well. So the bullpen's going to be interesting. A lot of time to go. We have games. But right now, amazing that Zach Thompson doesn't have his name mentioned. He better have his name mentioned by the end of this. By the end of the spring Spring training, training, where he just forces himself into the conversation. I do think if they go with the six-man rotation, he has to be a part of that. I think it's just a smart decision. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. And maybe they're just figuring Matz is going to be hurt anyway. We love Steven Matz, but he's going to be hurt. He's a friend of the show. Yeah, but he's going to be hurt. Coming up next. So bad, Randy. <laughs> bad but true. Yep. Coming up next, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. Take it or leave it. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? We'll put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. ESPN this morning on Unsportsmanlike, Evan Cohen was talking about how he doesn't know many of the players in the NBA's celebrity game that they played on Friday night. He doesn't know many celebrities. He's not into the pop culture thing anymore. Oh, okay. Take it or leave it. Marcus Jordan needed to be in that game. Oh, take it. <laughs> yep. Take yeah. it. And With we Larsa need courtside. Yes. So are they or are they not? Together? At the moment, they are. They are. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think that that would have definitely brought a lot of attention there to have Marcus. He needs to be there. And everybody knows who he is. If they don't, all they have to do is say, oh, yeah, that's Michael's son. What did we call them? What is their celebrity couple name? Was it Marsa? Or... Yes, I think it was Marsa or something like that. No, Mark Larkus. 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 Marsa yeah. sounds like some type of virus. Uh, Marsa, it sounds like Emma, it somebody has that some, right now. So, somebody, I, I read over the weekend, somebody was dealing with Wait, the are you Marsa. serious? Yeah, who, no. was de- who got sick and was dealing with Mar- MR? Some, somebody was dealing with Marsa this weekend. Oh, my God. Hold on, let me find it. Marsa in the news. Did not um, mean to laugh So, yeah, Larkus or the other one would have been, um, oh, Marsa. No, M-A-R, let's see, Larsa, Marsa, yeah, it would have been Marsa, Marcus I, and Larsa. Yeah. But Larkus oh, is better. It's um, Steve McMichael. That's it, yeah. Who yeah. just got uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Or oh. Ch- Hall of Fame. Yeah. Best wishes. Thoughts and prayers. That's Yes, thoughts and prayers. Take it or leave it, from Benjamin Hawkman, he put this out on X yesterday, Ryan Helsley said that he hopes to pitch 60 innings this season in St. Louis. I like how he clarified in St. Louis. <laughs> so take it or leave it, he will do that. Now, just so that we know, he pitched 64 and two-thirds in 2022, and last season, 36 and two-thirds innings. 36 and two-thirds last year, Brooke? 36 and two-thirds. I'm going to leave that he gets to 60. What happens if like, he gets 60 
and then he needs to get more innings? Is that just the cap? Is oh, that it? Like, he just went ahead and put that cap out there? That is, is that a cap, yeah. <laughs> if he gets to 60 on September 3rd, on September 4th, he's going to have a mysterious ailment. No, yeah, Randy, uh, no. Placed on the IL with shoulder inflammation or something like that. So what is your reaction when you hear that from him, that he is going to pitch 60 innings in St. Louis this season? It drives me crazy. It, You know, your job... Well, first of all, players, and we talked about this with uh, with Dan, the, the the player's job is they think about themselves. It's not about winning. Mm-hmm. But what if the what if the Cardinals require 71 innings from him this year if they're going to win their division? Is he going to stop at 60? I want players that are in it to compete. And players, we heard it from Josh Hader. He admitted it. He's not in, in it to win. He's, he's in it to make his money. And... If I were a front office person, and I know Houston gave Hater all the money, but if I were a front office person, I'd want people that are highly competitive. And I just wonder, a comment like that makes me wonder about Helsley's competitive level. Could you also see it the other way, though, that he's trying to insinuate that he's going to be healthy or expects to be fully healthy this season? And we've seen before, as I mentioned, the mm-hmm. 64 and two thirds in 2022 was a career best, I believe, for him for innings pitch. Maybe he's saying he will get back to that level again. That would be a positive if, if that's his goal. But if here's my thing. My goal is to finish as many Cardinal wins as possible. Yes. That's my goal. If I get 50 saves, if I'm Ryan Helsley, my goal is to finish 50 Cardinal wins. Because then all we need is 45 more wins and we've got 95. And that's... Uh, that's a good amount. Trevor Rosenthal had 48. How about this? I want to set the all-time Cardinal save record. How about that for a goal? Rather yeah. than 60 innings. That'll get people talking. That really yeah. will get people talking. Uh, Brooke Beck in my day. <laughs> Bruce Suter in 1981 in a strike season. In a strike season, they only played like 105 games. Uh, he threw 82 and a third. When the Cardinals won the World Series in 1982, Suter threw 102 and a third finished 58 of his 70 games. The year after that, he pitched in 60 through 89 and a third. In 1984, Bruce Suter finished 63 of his 71 games. A relief pitcher, a closer, threw 122 and two-thirds. Helsley's hoping to pitch 60. Suter threw 122, more than twice as many. And then even when he tore his shoulder up in 1985 for Atlanta, he threw 88. So uh, I just, I, I wish people would try to do more that's all and i think the key word there is that he hopes to yeah. pitch 60 innings that he hopes to pitch 60 innings and maybe he is another product when you brought up josh Hader of another arbitration player scorned it seems to really change these athletes and i understand it's part of the business but unless you've been a part of some sort of negotiations we've had to do it in you know the radio mm-hmm. radio and tv business you go in thinking it'll be one way and it is it becomes a totally different you know, feeling. It becomes mm-hmm. personal and sometimes you take it personally, even though it is meant to be a business transaction. Yeah, if the, you haven't been the, trained to handle negotiations, it can really score on you in yep. a lot of ways. And your agent is telling you it's all about you. Your yeah. agent is not telling you it's all about the team and about winning. Your agent is saying it's all about you and how much money you make because where does the agent make his money? From you. There you go. Matthew, what do you got on the text line? Take it or leave it. Of the four major sports, Major League Baseball he has easily the best all-star game slash weekend. Not even close. And I'm not even a huge uh, home run derby guy. But the game, they, they actually play the they game. Mm-hmm. The basketball, it, they, there was literally, I mean literally, 
no resistance defensively last night. We can see that. The NHL is a completely different game, and the NFL isn't even the game. (laughs) It makes it hard to watch all the way through. That's why I was saying I kind of lost the point. It was great seeing Jason Tatum, and they had him in the Mm pregame interview. They also had him in the first quarter interview. But Mm -hmm. still, other than that, are you really watching or wanting to watch until the very end? It's kind of like going to the ballet. When you get to the All-Star Game, it's a performance. It's not, it is. It's yeah. not a competition. It's more of a performance. The performance aspect of it was pretty cool. That's why this one's interesting to me. To me. Take it or leave it. There will be an NBA team that scores 200 points in a regular season game. I'm going to leave that leave because that. they start carrying in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they do. Just look how look just like how much you have to abdicate any kind of defense for a team to score 215. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be just, yeah. an, just an embarrassment of a game for it to happen. So I can't see it happening in an, an actual like real game where, you know, there's guys coming off the bench who are trying to fight for, for minutes and things like that. Like those things matter in a real game. The all-time record, 1983, the Pistons beat the Nuggets 186-184, but that was in triple overtime. Hmm. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The NBA would be smart to include more WNBA players in their All-Star Weekend. I'm thinking bringing Clark and Sabrina for the three-point contest and maybe co-ed teams for the skills competition. Well, Clark's not in the WNBA. She will be next yes. year. Maybe. 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 Or the year after. But yeah, once you get her, mm-hmm. yes, I think that's a smart move. And that would be a great way to help them promote the WNBA, which, by the way, is doing really well now. Yeah, I agree. I think that it would be a good idea. I really enjoyed that three-point yeah. contest. Matthew, not doing well enough to put them in the fight, but they're doing really well. Oh, wow. No, no, no. We used to get WNBA questions. There, we had a producer that gave me WNBA questions in the fight. Yeah, and you told me never to do it again. I did, and you wow. are correct. Okay, whoa, so whoa, whoa, let's whoa, not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Randy, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? So you, you kind of took a shot at Rock there about the WNBA, <laughs> no, but then you, you threw it back yeah. saying did, that you didn't want any more WNBA questions. Is that going to be a question? Yeah. No, you told me in the meeting before you hired me. Thank you. (laughs) When you explained to me about the fight, there was a stipulation, and one of them was, listen, I'm not going to be happy with certain ones, but if you give me this one, I will be mad. And that was, I don't like All-Star Game, I don't like... I don't like home run derby questions, but I won't freak out about them. But if you put WNBA questions <laughs> in, I will be angry. Randy, you <laughs> like, just that got was exposed. A oh, no. You got exposed. Oh man, we, we used to have a producer that like on our, once a week would have a WNBA question. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Just purposely and then, and stump then, you. And then it would be, well, their TV ratings are higher than they've ever been, and I said they're up to two point one. You know, the, nobody's watching. It's just that they're. It, it's not a one point one. It's a two point one. All Nobody, right. It's key. It's, key. it's still growing. Randy. Nobody cares. But that, I, that's it. We're doing an all WNBA fight. Rebecca one day Lobo, Diana Taurasi. Are you going to make the question? Super. Sure, okay, I'm not. Yeah. New York Liberty, Chicago Fire. <laughs> Las Vegas Aces. I've, I've got my stock answers. Ooh, from the three and four, very few NASCAR questions too. Are you a Sucked. NASCAR fan? No, uh, I, I I don't do the NASCAR trivia very well. In fact, I don't know it. Uh, Ryan Blaney because I, is he doing the uh, Menards commercials? I, uh, there's just no. I'm sorry. I'm, see, I'm just gonna say this right yeah. now. You can blame it on my ignorance. Um, I don't know enough about NASCAR to make fight questions. Jeff Gordon. Like, Jim I have Johnson. to have. <laughs> Some amount of information in my head where, like, I know what to Google to find a question. Oh, and other than oh, come who on. has the most Indy 500 wins, I don't know how, I don't know what, what angle to come at for NASCAR so, questions. When Brooke was in grade Dick school, Trickle, there you go. Yeah, Brooke was in, uh, you probably what, in, in kindergarten where it was one, two, Earnhardt. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the way it is in Tennessee, right? <laughs> 
Randy. No. No. Oh, okay. I see how I see how this is. I see how this is. So both of you guys taking shots at each other about the WNBA, and now you're going to try to find a way to put me in the middle of this with the Daytona 500 and. NASCAR, yes, it did get postponed. Yes, I do know what's going on with NASCAR. Thank you very much. I enjoy NASCAR every once in a while, especially Indy. Indy car is very exciting. Okay. Oh, so but NASCAR, this is uh, this is really unfair. Watch out! I don't know the answer. Okay. Who won the NASCAR championship last year? Who won the NASCAR championship? Yeah, the NASCAR Cup. Uh, It's something we've never heard of. That I would know off yeah. the top of Hold my on. head. Hold on, 2023 NASCAR champion. Hold on. I will say, you've been to NASCAR events, Randy. I like them. Don't you enjoy going to them? It's oh, something yeah. you have to see in person. It really is. An experience yes, in you person. Do. The noise is fabulous. <laughs> and uh, We've got a, a great one here. Uh, it, it's <laughs> Ryan Ryan Blaney did win, by the what? way. 636, the first shape Brooke learned was an oval. Oh, come on. <laughs> what is this? I, I'm just sitting, sitting here like a I'm nice so lady over here, okay? <laughs> just, just being nice and trying to stay away, maybe fit in some WNBA questions. I see what's happening. This is an attack on me because I'm going to make a WNBA fight. I see how it is. I see what's going on here. That's the only on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Coming up, is Nolan Arenado a leader? We'll give you our opinions on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. On the day's top stories, it's the Opening Drive's fresh take. It's 8.07 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Brooke, an interesting uh, story, I guess, for lack of a better term, came out of Cardinal Camp this weekend regarding Nolan Arenado. A very interesting story and some very interesting comments because we already knew that a lot of this offseason was really about adding a veteran presence to the clubhouse. There was no secret about that, that that was something the Cardinals were doing. You could obviously see that by the additions of Matt Carpenter, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and even Sonny Gray. And Nolan Arenado was a big part of that because he wanted those veterans in the clubhouse. And he talked to Jim Hayes of Valley Sports Midwest about why he wanted that leadership in the clubhouse and how he is as a leader. I think it's going to lift weight off a lot of people's shoulders and uh, not just me, but you know, I'm very f- thankful to have him back. I love Carp. He's a great teammate. He's a great person. So, and he's a good, he's a great player. So, uh, no, I'm happy to have him back. And uh, I think it's going to, you know, us as a group is going to make us all better. After the way last year ended, I wanted to get here early. I wanted to show my face around here early. And uh, I just wanted to get to work. I really do. I really feel like there's a lot of work to get that needs to be done. And uh, I feel like I need to be a part of it and I need to be someone that's uh, 100% in, ready to go right away. And one of the things, Brooke, that he had said is, and he said this to Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat, our team was just all young guys. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but they kind of overran the clubhouse. And usually the veterans run the clubhouse. And I don't mean that in a way that they were disrespectful. It wasn't anything like that, but there was just so many of them. And I think if you want to get the best out of young guys, they've got to see the veterans do it. All-stars and players who have been there before. And then that's how you get them better. But if they don't have those types of figures, it's hard for that to happen. I know me and Goldie were there, but there's only, it doesn't, we're not really vocal people either. 
So it's nice to have CARP who's not afraid to go up to people and talk to them and hold people accountable. First of all, let's go back to last year. What kids were overrunning the clubhouse? That's a great question. Maybe is he talking about when you're thinking when you say young guys, I'm thinking in that like early 20s age group. Is that wrong to assume that? No, I think that's fair. Okay, so young, maybe you could say a Nolan Gorman. Brendan Donovan could be in that category. Now, he's very close with Lars Newbar. So Mm -hmm. is that somebody he considers in that conversation? I don't know. But I think that it's very interesting because not only did he mention that to Jeff Jones, and we have the sound now that is a little bit better. We can kind of hear his tone, too, about adding that leadership and how he is as a leader. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, some things have gotten blown out of proportion with some of the things we've said or I've said. Um, you know, I think I am a leader. I'm a leader by example. I'm not, I'm not a vocal guy. And, you know, I'm just following the leads of people I've seen, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't I know I could lead. I could be vocal. But, you know, there's a proper way to do it. You know, the more you talk, the more people, you know, start to it's just one ear, not the other. So there's got to be a proper time. And I feel like I do that. You know, I'll share my thoughts when I need to. Um, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. But, uh you know, at the same time, I do have to go out and perform and help this team win ball games. Last thing about this. You do think it's kind of been blown out of proportion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people think I'm shying away from trying to help people out or not. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes what I'm hearing is people think I'm like ignoring people or not talking to people when that's not the case. It's just, you know, uh, there's certain things you can help guys out with. There's certain things that I got to help myself out with. But uh, I think I definitely... I think I'm a leader on this team. I know I am. And uh, maybe last year at times I shy away from it because of how I performed. But uh, this year I'm not going to do that. So he says he wants to be more of a leader by example, which I completely understand that. But I don't think that – does he understand, you know, who he is? And that even if he does talk a lot, if he needs to be a vocal leader that is speaking a lot, because it's very clear, they made it clear that Clubhouse was a big issue for them last season. And he's even saying that, that it was overran by younger players. Does he realize that who he is, is, his voice carries a lot of weight? Because, Randy, you were around for a lot of great players. And I was able to see also Albert Pujols, a past example, where he really worked with those younger players. And he embraced veterans, younger players. And the way that he really worked with those younger players, I felt like he was an open book. And maybe that's because it was his final season and he was a lot more relaxed. But Albert knew that if he spoke, that people would listen. I feel like Nolan carries that same weight and he doesn't realize that. Exactly. And... Maybe he's just not that sort of leader. Scott Rowland wasn't a vocal guy. He just went out and played. Some guys just prefer to go out and play and lead with their play. The problem that the Cardinals had last year is that when Roland was playing, he did have Albert. He did have for most of the time that he all the most of the time he was here. He had Yachty, but when he didn't have Yachty, he had Mike Matheny. He had Jim Edmonds, who was a fantastic leader. He had Jason Isringhausen, a, a fantastic leader. Uh, we've talked before about what a great leader Edgar Renteria was. This team was pretty devoid of leadership last year, and it was a misread on the part of the front office when they mm-hmm. lost Yachty and Albert that they didn't. Uh, bring in more or better leadership. I don't expect Nolan Arenado to act like something that he isn't. If he just goes out and plays, that's great. And it is a good reason to bring in a guy like Matt Carpenter. But at the same time, at the end of the day, this is the manager's job. The manager, if if young players are overrunning the clubhouse, the manager's job is to quell that, to stop that. If 
there is a need for a voice in the clubhouse. The manager's job is to go in and provide that voice in the clubhouse. It shouldn't fall on the players, especially if the front office and the manager have decided on a certain group of players to be the leaders or to be on the team. That's Holly Marmol's job to go in there and, and be the leader of the team. Yeah, if, I mean, if the veteran players can't corral whatever these younger players were doing, I think someone from the 573 brought up a great point. I took it as young as in young in their Major League Baseball career. I think that's what he means mm-hmm. as well, young in their experience. But at the same time, if it was getting so out of hand, somebody should have stepped in. If the players like Nolan and Paul Goldschmidt couldn't even get through with these guys, then what was really going on? And it also makes you wonder who exactly is he talking about? Because a lot of those guys that you could possibly look at are gone. Because we were talking about this in the group chat. You had Flaherty, you had Jordan Hicks, you have Tyler O'Neill. You can maybe even point to some other younger guys that are there. But say if the issue was those guys specifically and they left, why did you still have to bring in all these veteran voices? Well, they clearly, and those veteran voices include the three starting pitchers. Maybe this is going back to the starting rotation. Maybe it is, uh, or or bullpen guys. Maybe it is about people like Jordan Hicks and J- Jack Flaherty from mm-hmm. last year. Maybe it, maybe those are the guys that were about themselves rather than. But they're the not team. here anymore. Exactly. And then you still well, added all that veteran presence. And in. maybe that's what's going to help them win this year. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It, at the end of the day, the chemistry wasn't there, and that's one of the reasons they lost 71 games. And Nolan needs to be a part of the solution. He can't lay back. And I know he can't. He, he's not a vocal leader, but he needs to show every single day that, and he can't whine. Mm-hmm. He, he needs to show every single day, okay, I'm here to win, and this is how I'm going to go about it. He doesn't need to be vocal. He just needs to be a winner. I think sometimes he can be his own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Just observing from the body outside. Body language, right? Body language, all this stuff. But also, I think that he has the mentality of if he's not doing well in his own game, because we saw how bad of an April that he got off to mm-hmm. in general in his overall game, that it hurts the rest of the team. But sometimes you still have to show up for the rest of your team and be a leader in that way. And in other ways, even if you're if one thing's not working for you, you still have to show up for the other aspects of be, it. Right. Brooke, be uh, be somebody who, whether you're saying it to the media or not, go to the other players and say, hey, I'm going to fix this. This is on me. I'm struggling. I know. But I'm going to fix this. You, uh, just stick with me and I'm going to I'll be there to carry you. But I, I need you right now, young player, to come through and help us win while I'm struggling. Yeah. And meanwhile, Sonny Gray. Randy, I know that he's your favorite, uh-huh. but Sonny Gray truly, if you're wanting a current example of how to not only lead by example, but also be a vocal leader, if you've seen all the stuff that has come out about him in spring training, he has stated that he is going to be an open book for all of his teammates. He was even seen holding court with all the catchers, working on things specifically. That's, That's good. That is somebody That's who awesome. got paid a good amount of money mm-hmm. and understands what comes with that role and with that responsibility. You walk into that clubhouse with all those World Series rings. And Randy. Sh- what? <laughs> what? Randy, come on. He's doing Sunny Grace. He's doing the right thing. Yeah, he is. He, he, is. he is. You have to be happy about I'm, that. I'm proud of him. Yeah, he's there a leader. There you go. He's a leader. <laughs> Matthew's laughing. He thinks it's funny. <laughs> because, because you've taken it to the you've taken it to an, 
this extreme conclusion, and I don't think many people understand how much you're hamming it up at this point with with, with the Sunny Gray stuff. And I, here's my thing: do it the whole season. If he goes 19 and three, do it when he goes for win number 20. Still, so like, well, I mean, if this is how you want to win 20 games, fine. <laughs> you know that's what he's gonna do. You know that's what he's gonna do. That is today's fresh take. Curbs coming up next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. This afternoon over at Enterprise Center, it's an 11 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. And then Joe Vitale and Chris Kerber will have the call at noon. Kerbs joins us now here on 101 ESPN as he does every Monday morning. Chris Kerber, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, doing well today. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy President's Day to you. How do you like a noon start? I love it. I mean, I I like it. I was thinking about this this morning. I, I love the morning, uh, the, the afternoon starts. Uh, uh, having still part of the day there. Uh, this one's a little unusual being a Monday, but a holiday. But uh, in general, I like it. Well, Curbs, we have to talk about the game this past weekend with the Blues following oh, no. to the Predators. I know. it's. I know. I know. We got to talk about that. I mean, there's a lot. You are in charge of this show. You set the rules. If you don't want to talk about something, you don't have to talk about it. Okay, you want to talk about your favorite president? We can, we can segue into that. What's that? Your favorite president. <laughs> My favorite president. Ooh, that's a good one. Um Curbs, you know I, what? I'll, I'll let you think yeah. about it while I tell you that uh, William Howard Taft, first first guy <laughs> yep. ever, and by the way, he did not get stuck in a bathtub because he was so large. It's That's a myth. But he was <laughs> the first president to throw out a pitch at a baseball game. In, in, first president to throw out a pitch to open the season back in 1910. So Billy Taft is that. one of mine. And then I, I also uh, I have an affinity for Chester A. Arthur because you mentioned him and everybody says, who? He's the one president, <laughs> one of them, that uh, nobody knows who the hell he is. 21st president yeah, that's a, of the USA. That's, honestly, that's too much work for me. I, I, I still, I'm still going for the guy that helped us win the first important war, so I'm going to stick with Washington. And there then, you uh, go. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Washington. Uh, uh, Abe Lincoln is right there. Uh, Ronald Reagan. I, I, got, I got some good favorites in there. Yeah, that's a, that's there good you call. go. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Now we'll get back to yeah. that Blues game against the Predators. Oh, <laughs> what, what was your takeaway from that Curbs? Because that was a huge game for him when you're talking about wild card standings. What did you see from the Blues in that game? Uh, same thing you did. You know? <laughs> not not uh, just it, it wasn't the result you wanted for, but, you know, look, Nashville came out. The, they had been kicked in the mouth the, the, the previous game. Uh, the Blues at times have uh, had a hard time consistently uh, matching energy and level and whatever players were, you know, a couple players mentioned energy, whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, at, at the same time, there's still another team on the other side of the ice, on the other side of the red line, trying to prevent you from doing what you want to do. And I look at it and I, and I brought this up, Brooke, in the, um, uh, I brought this up in the curbside reaction podcast afterwards. You know, there's, there's, you're going to need, that was a playoff style game. And, and if you really look at where 
things are in the season with 28 games to go. Every game right now is a playoff game for the St. Louis Blues. It's really that simple. And uh, they, they put themselves in this position. And that's that's a tough loss because instead of a six-point lead over the teams in, in behind you, now it's only a two-point game. Now, yeah, you do have a game in hand. But if you look down, if you look down the roster, okay, in that last game, you had some line juggling with about seven minutes to go in the first period. And that's when I at least first recognized it uh, from up top. Uh, sometimes those, sometimes you don't see those things quite as regularly initially when you're just staying on the puck, right? So, uh, but so we noticed it with about seven minutes to go. Uh, you know, Jordan Cairo. Uh, well, you had Pavel Butchnevich put on that second line. Then you had Jordan Cairo. You know, move down to that line. Later on in the game, you had Cairo moved to the third line. And at the end of the game. When they had the extra attacker out there, it was Kevin Hayes that came out, not Jordan Cairo. Um, that's something I think you, you, you've got to notice there. There were just, you know, too many turnovers, to not, not enough puck battles won in that critical game. And it's a big, heavy game that takes a little more courage uh, to, to battle through, and it's, that's part of the learning curve. And, and then, then you, you continue to go down, and, you know, you, you're getting good play, but you've got to find production from some other guys here. You know, Kasperi Kapanen uh, getting good, solid play. You know, at times he was even moved up to that top line with Thomas and and Butch Navich uh, in that hockey game. But you know, there, there needs to be some production. And I look at he got robbed on one play. I get it. But you know, Kevin Hayes, Braden Shen, some of the others that there there has to be more production coming at even strength. And because they, things are tightening up, so when you get the opportunities, when you get a two on one, and it's your two best players. You got to get the puck through. It's it's just got to get through if you're going to win games, and if you don't, it, it's harder to win, and then it's harder to especially come from behind. So uh, that's that to me is is what I take away from that game is just is needing another level of production, and you you've got to hit your points when they get them. Uh, in, in in these tight games. Curbs, I often talk about how fortunate we are as fans, and that the Blues were, that they won Game 7 in Boston. And I, th- I think today we're going to see the essence of how you need luck and you need everything to fall in place to win a Stanley Cup because the big boys are back for Toronto today. We didn't see Tavares or Marner last week. Well, yesterday in practice, Matthews and Marner and Tavares and Nylander were all on the ice together. And, man, you better be on your game if you're going to play against the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah, you, you need to. And, and yet... There's not a massive difference in, in points standing-wise between, say, them and the Blues. You know, they, they've had a hard time at times keeping the puck out of the net. Uh, they've, got, they've got plenty of offense, kind of like the, the Edmonton Oilers, mm-hmm. but sometimes having, you know, having a tough go at just kind of keeping it rolling. But I agree with you, Andy. If you, man, or Randy, if, if, you, don't, if, you, don't, uh, if you don't bring it every single shift, somebody's going to burn you because they've got the ability to snipe from, from different angles. And so you have got to play tight. You've got to make them defend in their own end. You know, there's a, there, was a, there was a great forecheck when Jake Neighbors was on the ice with Thomas and Cairo, and Thomas and Neighbors are forechecking the snot out of the puck in the corner, right? They're holding it there. It squirts up along the wall and in the last game, and one of the Predators got to the puck and just skated it right out of the zone. If you don't get the third guy in the battle, it's, you know, whether it be the other forward coming over to the wall, whether it be the defense reading and pinching down, if you don't get that, that other guy in the battle and outnumber them, this team will break the puck out at you, and you're going to be defending too much in your own zone. And you heard in that last game, you heard uh, uh, Steve Ott mention it to us right in his post-game interview he does with us, so you heard Drew Bannister mention it. 
there was too much of a gap. The defense would get the puck and sometimes not have anywhere to go with it because the forwards weren't back enough or the forwards didn't come back hard enough. That was a theme we had. Uh, we saw a lot last year. Got to get that today. If the forwards don't back check, you are going to make it really easy on those stud players you were talking about. Hey, Kerbs, I want to focus on one guy here for just a moment. Uh, for me, Kessel is entrenched, regardless of who's healthy as the Blues move forward. I've, I've got Matt Kessel as one of my six Blues defensemen. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Absolutely. He he has come up. Well, first off, you know, if, if you go to the reasons he was inserted into the lineup, one, he's got something most of the others don't have, and that's a right-handed shot. Okay, so that's that's kind of important uh, And uh, on this in this situation. Having said that, he's just played really well. He has become a full-time National Hockey League player this year. You know, so, uh, you know, Justin Falk doesn't appear to be ready or close yet. He hasn't really started skating, at least as of a couple of days ago. Um, I was told Perunovic is, is closer than, than Falk is. So, to me, the, the person that would – could end about there would be uh, would be Callie Rosen, and I still like the way Callie has played when, when he's been up here. So, um, yeah, to me, Kessel has just he's earned it, and you know other guys have, have had opportunities, and, and from a forward standpoint, defensive, whatever, and you've got to take advantage of. It. And boy, he has taken absolute advantage of the opportunity. And I agree with you, Randy. I think he has become one of your top uh, one of your top six defensemen right now, even if everybody is healthy. Curbs, always good to talk to you on a Monday morning. Happy President's Day, and we will be tuned in for you and Joey at noon, pregame at 11, for the Blues and the Maple Leafs here on 101 ESPN. You got it. Hey, Brooke, how'd we do with that last game? We do all right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a, yeah. yeah. Let's, hope, let's hope for a little better today. Exactly. Today is a new day, Curbs. Yeah, let's go for a lot better. I, I'm with you guys. All right, cheers. Have an awesome week. Thanks, brother. See you later. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. We I, I lost. I was a loser, yeah. loser on uh, on Friday. So we've got somebody going for two in a row. Did, Tim. Yeah. Uh, I lost. Didn't I get all four and lose in the tiebreaker? It was a 4-4 um, tie and then a loss yeah. in the tiebreaker. Yeah, it happens. it happens. It does. So we'll see if the same thing happens today. Redemption Day? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> You'll we'll, bounce back just like the Blues. Uh, uh, yeah, me and the Blues. We're kind of kindred spirits today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. The fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Joe Listener, And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Kelly. To the opening drive, Brooke here alongside Randy. Dan will be back with us here tomorrow, but we are welcoming back Tim. Tim is the guy who actually beat Randy in the tiebreaker, went four for four, and then beat Randy in the tiebreaker. How was your weekend, Tim, after doing that? Oh, it was pretty good. Just uh, enjoyed the snow and took it easy. <laughs> did you Did you get to brag a little bit? Because that's that's pretty big bragging rights to be able to do that. I sent a I sent a text out to a to a group, but that was about it. Nothing, nothing too big. Okay, I like it. I like it. You're humble because you're also ready to go for today for round two. Also, just real quick before we get started, I saw that you're out at a hockey tournament today, right? That's correct. Yep. How's that going? That's going all right. Uh, tied in the second so far, so we'll see how it goes. Nice. All right, we'll get you back out there, and we'll see how this goes in the fight today. You ready for the first question, Tim? Sure thing. 
Across a seven-year stretch from 1996 to 2002, the Cardinals played in three NLCSs, losing all three, which was the only series that went longer than five games. Was it the 02 versus Giants, the 2000s versus the Mets, or the 1996 versus the Braves? Uh, uh, 96 versus the Braves. There are only two players who have won four straight Cy Young Awards, Randy Johnson and who else? Is it Roger Clemens, Justin Verlander, or Greg Maddox? Uh, Roger Clemens. Happy birthday to former Cardinal Juan Yepes. Which slugger did the Cardinals swap for Yepes in May 2017 via trade? Was it Matt Adams, Randall Grichik, or Brandon Moss? Ooh, uh... Um, Matt Adams. All right. Kurt Warner is the only undrafted starting quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Who is the only other undrafted quarterback to start a Super Bowl? Is that Vince Ferragamo, Rex Grossman, or Jake DeLome? Jake DeLome. All right. We'll double check the score. Okay. How are you feeling, Tim? Yeah, feeling all right. Doing all right? I don't know. You kind of fired through them quickly. Do you do some sports trivia on the side? Uh, we, I have done sports trivia. We've, we've done the St. Patrick Center uh, a couple times. We we uh, we played against Randy's, Randy's team uh, a few times. Oh, nice. The St. Patrick Center is fantastic, by the way. They do a lot of great work. Randy, say hi to Tim again. Tim, again, good morning. Happy President's Day, sir. (laughs) Morning, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. So, Tim, explain what you were just saying, because Randy just walked in the room, that you have played trivia against him before. Yeah, at the St. Patrick Center. Uh, Our team was the Springfield Isotopes. Uh, We've, uh, I think we won twice and, like, came runner-up two or three times. Uh, But, yeah, it was, St. Patrick Center was very, uh, uh, that sports trivia was, was a good time. That was fantastic. Yeah, they did such a great job. It's a shame we don't have that anymore. Yeah, I agree. All right, ready for round two, Randy? Ready. Okay, question number one. Across a seven-year stretch from 96 to 2002, the Cardinals played in three NLCSs, losing all three, which was the only series that went longer than five games. Uh, 96 to 02, that would have been the uh, seven-gamer against Atlanta in 96. There are only two players that have won four straight Cy Young Awards, Randy Johnson and who else? If I'm not mistaken, the uh, let's see, was it Maddox or Rocket? I think Roger Clemens did, but let me Maddox. I don't think did. I think Clemens did. I will go with uh, the Rocket. Happy birthday, birthday! Excuse me. Happy birthday <laughs> to former Cardinal Juan Yepes. Which slugger did the Cardinals swap for Yepes in May 2017 via trade? It would have been Matt Adams. Matt Adams to... Uh, Big City. Yeah, to, for, uh, for Juan Yepes. To Atlanta, I think. And number one, or number four, excuse me, Kurt Warner is the only undrafted starting quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Who is the only other undrafted quarterback to start a Super Bowl? I believe that would be Jake DeLome. Jake DeLome of the uh, Carolina Panthers. You're not going to believe this, Randy. <laughs> we have a tiebreaker. <laughs> we get sometimes we get in these things where we get lots of tiebreakers, and it was another very close fight. And Tim, you send it to a tiebreaker one more time. So I know both of you know the answer, know the rules here. 
but uh, I'm just going to go through them really quickly. I'm going to read off the question. We're going to give Randy Carricker a moment to write down his answer. Tim will then get say his answer audibly, and Randy will show his answer to the camera, tell everybody on the air what he guessed, and whoever is closest to the pin is going to be the winner of today's fight. Tim, do you understand those rules? I do. Randy, do you have paper? I do. Randy Carricker, um, earlier on in the show, kind of reading my mind on the tiebreaker, told you what the highest scoring game in the NBA regular season is. Mm-hmm. In the same vein, I have a question, but it's different, and that is, what is the all-time per-game sco- per game scoring record for an NBA team across an entire season? For example, the Kings last year led the NBA with just around 120 points scored per game. So, what is the all-time per-game scoring record for an NBA team across an entire season? All-time per-game scoring record for an NBA team across an entire season. So, you know, 93 93- Point four points per game would be how you'd answer this if obviously that's not the answer. Uh, that'd be well, I'd hope kind not. Of, that I, would be that'd be <laughs> kind of weird considering huh? what the Kings did last year. <laughs> but I'm just saying the, the the blank 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 point blank is is kind of the format we're looking for. Randy Carricker has his guess, and Tim, what is your guess, sir? I'll go with one twenty-seven point four. Okay, Tim guesses 127.4. Randy Carricker, what do you guess? I guessed 138.4. I was looking at some of those Suns teams maybe from the Mike D'Antoni era that didn't play defense and played a lot of offense. Seems like they played a lot of uh, 140 to 130 kind of games. All right. We did a little math, and we have a winner in today's fight via tiebreaker. Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. The fight is driven by Car Shield. Plans to fit any budget. Visit carshield.com today. Congratulations, Tim. You win round two thanks to the tiebreaker. The 82-83 Denver Nuggets averaged 126.5 points per game. You almost hit it right on the nose, Tim, with that guess. That was crazy. Let's go through. Well, congratulations, Tim. You won round two. You're going for a Hall of Fame shot tomorrow. Oh, cool. Sounds good. There it is. Let's go through those questions and answers. You each got three correct across a seven-year stretch from 96 to 02. It was not the 02 series versus the Giants. It was not the 2000 series versus the Mets. It was, in fact, the 96 series versus the Braves where they went to seven games. It is Greg Maddox who won in his last year with the Cubs and then his first three years with the Braves. Uh, Clemens, despite winning seven, did not uh, ever ever tag four in a row. Happy birthday to former Cardinal Juan Yepes. It was, in fact, a swap with Matt Adams to the Atlanta Braves. And Jake DeLome, the only other undrafted quarterback to ever play in a Super Bowl. Of course, Kurt Warner, the or start a Super Bowl, I should say. Kurt Warner, the only one to win. So a 3-3 tie there for Tim and Randy Carricker. And then the all-time per-game scoring record for an NBA team across an entire season, 82-83 Denver Nuggets, 126.5. Thank you very much to Tim, and we'll talk to him tomorrow. Thank you, Tim. Good to have Thank you with you, us. Tim. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Good luck. Uh, next up here. Um, Whoa, Randy, what? can we discuss this? I don't think I've yeah. actually been here for one of these Hall of Fame rounds. Oh, really? Oh, that's a good point. I don't yeah. think I have. The oh. one Hall of Famer we, you allowed in the, my two years here was uh, last, like, early February. And Brooke got mm-hmm. here in March? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so it was, you just missed it. Wow. How about that? Wow. There you go. This yeah. will be a very exciting day. Hey, don't Ooh. worry. I'll handle the questions tomorrow. It'll be an easy layup. <laughs> old WNBA questions. Yeah, we'll, we'll, Pun intended on layup, but we'll you know that. what I get. Yeah, okay. We'll do that. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, so he's a two-time, that, that St. Patrick's championship, uh, is he taking the uh, the, uh, the, the, options? The, the options? He has been taking the options. Wow.
Maybe he. I, I feel. I feel like he could go. Yeah. I feel like he could go Randy style because he's been firing them off really. Yeah. Quickly. No, he's great. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But he's better at this stuff than I am. If he's if they if he's won those St. Patrick's things, he's better than I am. Was it like a heavy, like the competition level of these things? Were pretty yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, that's, really. Yeah, it's they, those guys were getting ninety eight, ninety nine out of a hundred. Oh my wow. gosh! Yeah, so, and if they won it twice, uh, and there's, there's a team that was from the Sporting News that won all the time. Yeah, those are experts. Did you remember his group that he was talking about? Yes. Yeah. And they're really, really good. They're really, really good. Yeah. Wow. So he's a pro. No doubt about it. Uh, coming up, Jordan Hicks is really excited about what he's capable of doing with the Giants this season. If he performs well for San Francisco, what's that say about the Cardinals? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Interesting quotes from Giants personnel about their new starting pitcher, Jordan Hicks, and their manager, Bob Melvin, said maybe he goes down from 105 to 99 or 100 or something like that, trying to get more quick outs. He said the velocity is always going to be relative with him, but it's going to be a big weapon for Hicks to succeed. And he knows, and he's being told by the Giants, he has to get quicker outs. He can't be throwing 80 pitches in three innings, which is something that he did here. And he's talked to Logan Webb, their ace, about the heavy use of his sinker, and he plans to approach games with the same way. And even their catcher, Patrick Bailey, has gotten in on the act. He said if he can get early quick outs with a sinker, he's going to be able to pitch deep into games, and then you get two strikes, and he has the sweeper and the splitter that he can miss bats with. And uh, Hicks isn't worried about being a starter. He pointed out that in um, his time in the minors with the Cardinals, he regularly threw six innings, and the Giants are excited about it. Melvin said, I liken it to Seth Lugo. Lugo came in last year with San Diego and said, I'm a starter. I don't want to hear about pitches. I don't want to hear about innings limits. I'm going to prepare to be a starter. I think that's the same thing with Jordan and the way he's looking at it. And Lugo had a really good year for the Padres under Bob Melvin. So, Brooke, here's the question. If the Giants are able somehow to turn Jordan Hicks into a quality starter after they went out and signed these 34- and 36-year-old free agent starters, does that say more about the Giants and their ability to extract the most out of Hicks? Or does it say something about the Cardinals in not being able to understand what his strengths are? What's really concerning to me is that with the Cardinals, of course, that narrative is going to happen. Say that it does happen that Jordan Hicks is really well, but the Cardinals did give him a lot of opportunities. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you agree? They gave him a lot of chances. He wanted to be a starter. They gave him that chance. And of course, he got injured. What was it? Was it eight games that I think he pitched as a starter? Or was it even right. less than that? I think it was. Uh, it was I around eight games. See. Um, I believe. Yeah, eight as a starter. Eight as a starter. And then he dealt with an injury. And I really liked him, honestly, coming out of Penn. And it seemed like a role that he really embraced. I find it interesting that there's reports that even the Phillies had reached out to Jordan Hicks to make him an offer this offseason. But he turned it down because he was specifically pursuing a starting role with a team. And the Giants seem to think that he has his stuff to do it. But it's wait and see for him because it's hard for me to believe that just based off of the past that you have seen with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Will he be able to stay healthy? Will he be able to handle this role? What would be a good comp for Jordan Hicks, you believe, as a starter, potentially? That's a great question. Uh, who is somebody that... 
there are many guys that come out of the bullpen and turn into a quality starter after his yeah. experience in the bullpen. And that's what I'm saying is yeah. that I have to try to look around for examples of where you could say this does happen. I don't, I don't feel like that there's many. Maybe Seth Lugo is the best example, although he doesn't have Jordan Hicks stuff, but he just got a big contract from Kansas City based on his one year as a starter. Here's my concern. Last year, when Hicks went over to the Blue Jays. He left here with a 3.67 ERA, comes down by a run per game, and winds up being really solid for the the Blue Jays. He, uh, his strikeout numbers per nine innings were down, but he was, he was really good. But then you look at what happened with Cabrera, right, and the success that he had after leaving St. Louis. And uh, he went 24 consecutive games mm-hmm. without allowing a run. And we saw Jordan Montgomery, and he he wasn't twice as good as he was here, but he was better in Texas than he was in St. Louis. So my concern is that there is, for whatever reason, a limitation to how much better the Cardinals can make pitchers, and maybe other teams are doing a better job of improving their guys. And that's a fair question, because if he does do really, really well and he becomes the starter, then everybody is going to look at the Cardinals organization and say, how are you guys not able to develop these pitchers properly? And you could also maybe even do you look at the training Mm -hmm. as well, the training staff as well, because I think health has been his biggest issue. And that's what I'm interested in seeing, too, is will he Mm -hmm. be able to stay healthy in that role, how long can he handle this role? If they're able to figure this out with him, then 100% you look at the Cardinals and say, what what was missing here? How could you guys not figure out with him? And we already have the position player questions about the Cardinals' ab- ability to self-evaluate, right? With mm-hmm. Rosarena and Garcia and some of the others. I, I will give them a pass on Sandy Alcantara because I don't think anybody saw Alcantara becoming what he became, or even Gallon. But you have had a chance at the major league level to evaluate Jordan Hicks for such a long time, like you had the ability to evaluate Cabrera, Henesis Cabrera. I think that if Hicks winds up being a stud for the Giants, that is a real problem for the Cardinals that they need to investigate fully. Yeah. So this is from... Boxdrop, St. Peter's, Missouri. I'm sorry, I'm not typically used to names. <laughs> How does that happen on there? That's Oh, okay. Well, the number is 636. So mentioning the three former Cardinals pitchers that have done much better, once they have left the Cardinals, would you say that our pitching coach has something to do with this? That's the only conclusion I can draw, that the Cardinals are not getting as much out of these pitchers as other teams are. They said the, the Cardinals said the reason that they moved Henesis Cabrera to Toronto was because he wasn't happy with his role. And that's 100% what happened. He wasn't happy with his role because it felt like he wanted one thing, the Cardinals envisioned something else, and maybe that's what a big change of scenery has to do with there. Well, why not try to get him in a role that is amenable to him? Because the Cardinals always did talk about his stuff. His stuff was clear. There's no doubt about it. So why does somebody get a role that they're happier in elsewhere? Who was so good that the Cardinals couldn't, in last year's Cardinal bullpen, who was so good that the Cardinals couldn't experiment with Henesis Cabrera in a role that he approved of? I don't know. And that seems to be the biggest thing. From the 9-5-1, guys, the Giants are delusional thinking that the Hicks is going to be a good starter. 
Well, they might be, but uh, they have been delusional before to the tune of winning 107 games with people that they didn't think people didn't think they could win with. And maybe it's just as simple as trust, right? When you're saying, okay, this guy wants to be in this role and we believe in him, we think that he has his stuff. And they've brought up a lot you mentioned earlier on ticking down his velocity a little bit. And that was something that we've seen with Hicks. We know that he's a flamethrower, but sometimes the command or the control was a little, just a tad bit off at times. And will he be able to handle that now in this starting role? And I remember asking Mike Schilt about that. And the Cardinals said, we aren't essentially, this is what Mike Schilt said. He said, I could go to him and ask for more command and a reduction in velo, Mm -hmm. but what got him here? Why is he at the major league level? Why did he never have to pitch in double or triple A? Speaking of Jordan Hicks, it was because he threw 105 miles an hour. And a lot of times with pitchers, they're going to, or any player, they're going to do what got them to the major league level. And for whatever reason, the Cardinals didn't want to coach him to the point where they could say, okay, if you want to be a starter, dial it back a little bit, enhance your command, get outs with fewer pitches, and you can be a starter. Well, that's what the Giants are trying to do. And sure, the the, the Giants might be delusional, but uh, they've done a whole lot better job of turning guys into really good starting pitchers than the Cardinals have. When you look at a guy like uh, the, the work that they're getting out of Logan Webb and uh, the work that they got out of Rodon a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, getting him healthy. The, the work that they've gotten out of uh, Alex Wood, better than pretty much anybody else. Uh, the, the work that they got out, out of De Sclafani. They, they've done a really good job of turning somewhat mediocre guys into pretty good pitchers. So I actually, and this is a new staff, by the way, in San Francisco, but I give that organization a better chance to turn mediocre guys into really good guys than I give the Cardinals at this point. And it will come down to evaluating that. Even Do you think that even if he's just an average-ish starting pitcher, is that still something that you look at with the Cardinals? Well, here's my question. If you've got a, a 26-year-old that is getting 44 over 4, that's the exact same contract that Steven Matz has. Mm-hmm. Why not keep your own guy for 44 over 4, and why not turn him into something rather than having to give $11 million to Kyle Gibson or $10 million to yeah. Lance Lynn? Why not have a younger guy that is proud to wear the birds on the bat and you can have for the long term? And he's younger and has already been through Tommy John, would appear to be pretty durable, too. Yeah, I agree with you. Unless he was one of the guys that was only concerned about himself. Ooh. Could be. Could be, but once again, he's gone now, but you still got more of those veteran guys in the clubhouse. I don't know. I just still don't see how a younger player, maybe a younger player with less Major League Baseball experience, I know we're going to dive into this more coming up here at 9, but I don't see how that could just really take over the clubhouse when you still had so many veterans in that clubhouse last season. It really doesn't make an awful lot of sense. It really does I agree with you there. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, Nolan Arenado said, I'm kind of a leader, but not vocal. How good of a leader is he, and should he be expected to be one of the great leaders? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Rush Hour Reset. I mean, I think people think I'm shying away from trying to help people out or not, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes what I'm hearing 
is people think I'm like ignoring people or not talking to people when that's not the case. It's just, you know, uh, there's certain things you can help guys out with. There's certain things that I got to help myself out with. But uh, I think I definitely I think I'm a leader on this team. I know I am. And uh, maybe last year at times I shied away from it because of how I performed. But uh, this year I'm not going to do that. That is Nolan Arenado. It is 9.06 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Randy Carricker, and Nolan taking taking it upon himself. He says, I'm not going to do that this year. He's not going to shy away, even if he's struggling from telling teammates not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. I don't know how to feel about it. One, because with those comments, I understand that not everybody wants to be a vocal leader. But when you have the contract that he does and when you are essentially, it would be safe to say that Nolan Arenado is currently the face of this organization, mm-hmm. right? It is, yes. Safe to say. Safe to say that he and has been since coming in the face of this organization, that that comes with a lot of responsibility. And maybe he's just self-evaluating where he knows that he doesn't have the ability to maybe lead people in that way. But I am expecting a little bit more out of him. Once again, you have a current example of Sonny Gray who signs that big contract coming in where he says, I want to be an open book to my teammates. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing picture evidence, video evidence of how he's already rallying around these guys and living up to his word in spring training, I kind of want that from Nolan Arenado too. I, I won't say kind of, I do want that from Nolan Arenado because, Randy, you've gone to that clubhouse. How many of those young players, the new players that come in, when you ask them who are they excited to meet or maybe the guy they're starstruck about, mm-hmm. it's Nolan Arenado. Right, and you could be starstruck about a guy, and I know he's an exceptionally hard worker, but sometimes what guys say just doesn't resonate. I would say the guy who has the most cachet among the position players is Wilson Contreras. He's the one that has a ring. He's the one that's been through uh, September and October and played the last game of the season and won. And I would hope that there is a level of leadership from him, too. But clearly, even Nolan Arenado, when he went to Mosellock and said, we need Matt Carpenter, he knew that there was, among the position players, a lack of of leadership. And that's mm-hmm. got to be the only reason Matt Carpenter is here. It's not I know that Nolan said he's a great player. He's not a great player anymore. And the Cardinals need that because they just didn't have it uh, last year. And they had it a couple of years ago. We get an interesting text. Uh, this one from the 636. Unfortunately, too many people have not properly understood how often Yadier Molina was often too worried about himself. Not a great thing from a winning baseball games perspective and a team perspective. I, I would agree that Yadi going home to watch his basketball team was not a great thing. But if you talk to pitchers who threw to Yadi mm-hmm. and were in the pitchers' meetings with Yadi or Molina, they talked about how incredibly well prepared he was as a player and how he made them better. He led them to be better than they had ever been before. So I have to respectfully disagree with that text. There, to say that. Yadier Molina was all about the team, I think would be disingenuous. But to say that he wasn't a leader also is incorrect. Well, and the thing, too, with Yadier Molina is that you could actually see, and I know I'm pointing out spring training because that's what we have going on now. Randy, you saw, too, during spring training, Yadier Molina was really working with all of those catchers and pitchers, specifically where he knew every single little detail about them. And when he talked, everybody stopped and listened. Yeah. And that's why I said earlier, does Nolan realize, you know, kind of his importance to the game, but also to this team, that if he did speak, even if he had to speak quite frequently, 
that those players would stop and listen to him. And maybe it's just not a role that he's comfortable with, but I don't think that he understands that he does have a lot of power in that clubhouse to be able to speak. And Paul Goldschmidt, we heard from Adam Wainwright last season that Paul really took this hard, how the clubhouse seemed Mm -hmm. to be in some sort of disarray. I wish I knew the full story behind it, but I think we can kind of put some of the clues together that Paul Goldschmidt was starting to speak out more. And so I think that was an unusual role for him, but he still understood what was needed and he started to speak out more. That's what I kind of wanted to hear from Nolan, but it almost makes it seem like, and maybe it's true that we're taking this completely out of proportion, but I can only take what he said. And it seems like maybe he just kind of wants to focus on himself because he believes that if he does well, the rest of the team does well, and he just needs to focus on his game. And Brooke, you've mentioned this, and I'm completely on board with what you say. There's a guy here that's going to be playing every day that wants that role, that is a vocal guy, that is a good player, and he might not be the veteran that Nolan Arenado wants to hear. He might think that people are overrunning the clubhouse, but the one guy that it appears to me that has that combination of playing well, playing every day, and has the desire to be a vocal leader and the the voice to be a vocal leader, it seems to be Brendan Donovan. Mm-hmm. Brendan Donovan is very clearly a leader, and I think that he's lead by example, but also another, another example of being a vocal leader. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many of these younger players, if you if we're talking about young players with not much Major League Baseball experience, talked about Brendan Donovan specifically at winter warm-up and how much that he helped them in many different aspects of their game. One, mm-hmm. mentally of dealing things with Major League Baseball on a day-to-day basis, but also with their hitting, different things like that. And he has said that he sees himself as a leader and is really glad to take on that role. And I want to go back, and this is a back-in-my-day Randy thing, but I always go back to Whitey Herzog's introductory press conference in 1980 with the Cardinals, and they didn't have players that had won. Ted Simmons behind the plate had not won. Keith Hernandez at first had not won. Gary Templeton at short. Ken Reitz at third. Uh, th- that group had not won. Lou Brock had uh, I, I guess Lou was gone by then, uh, but so he wasn't there. But they, they, the point was they didn't have a lot of winning players, winning history among their team. And somebody asked, a writer asked Whitey Herzog who he expected to assume a leadership role. But he was kind of baffled. He said, well, I'm the manager. I'm the leader. And that's one thing, and th- there's no doubt. If you walked into a Cardinal clubhouse where Joe Torre was a manager, no doubt about who the leader was. Certainly with Tony Larusa, no doubt about who the yeah. leader was. And that's something that Ali Marmal also needs to take upon himself, mm-hmm. is don't just rely on the players to be the leaders. You have to be a leader in your own way, too, because you have that title. You are the manager. What is a manager? A manager is a leader. Managing the clubhouse yeah. is also a big role and responsi- responsibility with that. And I 100% agree with you because now that you're seeing that clearly with everything that they're saying and what they've added, that the clubhouse was such a mess last season, the first thing I think of is how did they let it get to this point? Where was Ollie in this situation? Was his voice not powerful enough to get through to these players? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like that was a big part of what we saw just falling apart last season. Now, this is interesting coming in from the three and four. What about Wilson Contreras? Shouldn't he be a vocal leader? I think he is a vocal leader, mm-hmm. but with everything going back to the clubhouse situation last season, with everything that happened, I think he's a very confident player. But how much does that knock down your confidence when a situation so publicly comes out like that with Wilson? Not only that, but when your organization, when your manager is saying, yeah, he, he really isn't doing what we expect from that position if you're a young player, how can you follow that? It's, it's not Wilson's fault. The organization 
made it clear to everybody that he couldn't be a leader last year. And hopefully that's changed. And I agree with you. Wilson Contreras has the most cachet of anybody in that clubhouse because he's the only guy with a World Series ring. Well, I guess Lance Lynn has one too. And from the 617, and this is a very fair point. I think it really does come down to this. Reading between the lines, I think that Arenado is not one of the guys who would take on the direct coaching of young teammates. He doesn't have time for that, especially when he has his own issues to work on. And we talked about this earlier. I think that sometimes that Nolan does believe that's part of his leadership mm-hmm. and he's discussed that, is his play. He knows that if he's doing well, the rest of the team will do well too, to the point where maybe it could be a little bit self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing wrong with that and maybe that's just where it's too much for him it's a little overwhelming to work on himself and also try to mentor and coach these younger players and that to be fair that isn't his responsibility all I expect of Nolan Arenado is for him to be a great player I don't expect him to be a vocal leader now he is known as first guy in last guy out yes which is great that's a great way to lead by example I don't expect him to be a vocal leader some guys are capable of it some guys are not he even listening to the interview with Jim Hayes He's kind of a nervous conversationalist. Mm-hmm. So, w- and maybe he realizes that yeah. the way that he says things wouldn't resonate well or maybe not work well. And I do get mm-hmm. that. I think that with the comments, though, it's a little discouraging because it just makes you see, wow, things really were bad in mm-hmm. that clubhouse last season, weren't they? Yeah. And my, I wonder, and I don't know if anybody will tell me, but I wonder if the problems that existed with, quote-unquote, as Nolan said to Jeff Jones, young players overrunning the clubhouse. I wonder if those problems have been eradicated. That's a good question. Well, I mean, with the amount of veteran leaders that you've added in, and you know Lance Lynn, is Lance the type of guy that would allow something like that? From what I gathered, I can't see it specifically. No, no. And Matt, I assume that he would also be a buffer from some of the other veterans right. yeah, with th- that. Th- and those guys need to take charge in a hurry, and they need to. That That's something that needs to be taken care of on the first days of spring training. And hopefully they'll do it. Those guys know a winning clubhouse when they see it, and they, they need to build that winning culture back to St. Louis. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, by the way, that was our Rush Hour Reset. Question we've asked a lot about the Blues this year, but what's your comfort level with them right now? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Live from the Car Shield Studio, this is the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Things are tightening up, so when you get the opportunities, when you get a two-on-one and it's your two best players, you got to get the puck through. It's, it's just got to get through if you're going to win games. And if you don't, it, it's harder to win. And then it's harder to especially come from behind. So uh, that's that to me is, is what I take away from that game is just is needing another level of production. And you, you've got to hit your points when they get them uh, in, in, in these tight games. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, earlier today here on the opening drive with Brooke and Randy. Right now, as the Blues get ready to play the Maple Leafs, and it's a noon game today, 11 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN on President's Day, the Blues have 60 points. They're in the second wild card spot. They are two points ahead of Nashville, and they played one fewer game than the Predators. Brooke, the Blues, after their five-game winning streak, are 3-3 three and three in their last six. So even though they've won 8 of 11, they're three and three in their last six, and the losses to Columbus, Toronto, and Nashville have been ugly in their appearance of mm-hmm. lack of effort. So, even though the Blues are, to me, where I kind of expected them to be, 
I'm still really uncomfortable with the consistency of the team. You don't even have to say appearance with a lack of effort because Drew Bannister has actually been very honest in his post-game comments, and he keeps pointing out these two things. The lack of energy he's seeing in these specific losses that we're talking about mm-hmm. here, and also the connectivity continues to be an issue in these losses, which is very confusing because then you have a game before where they look completely connected and they have a ton of energy. And I don't know what that missing piece or part or puzzle, missing piece of the puzzle is there. And I'm sure that Drew Bannister is absolutely frustrated trying to figure out as well. It's just that this was the oh, this weekend, you're playing a very desperate Nashville Predators team and you could have moved six points in front of the Predators mm-hmm. had you have won this game. Now, the Preds are just two points behind you and for that that final wild card. And that's concerning because the Blues knew that going in and the Predators knew that going in, but you almost wouldn't think it. Is that fair to say mm-hmm. after watching that game? It looked like the Blues didn't have desperation. Like they were in a great spot in the playoff race, mm-hmm. and not in a spot where they could lose. Like maybe they were already expecting to be six points ahead by the end of the night. That's that, what it felt like. That's what it feels like to me a lot of times with this team. Now, Toronto, while having much more talent than the Blues, is as up and down as the Blues are. The Islanders are 3-3-2 three, three, and two since they made their coaching change to Patrick Waugh, and the Islanders are in town on Thursday. Then the Blues go out on the road, and Detroit, Detroit is as competitive as the Blues are. Then the Blues go to Winnipeg, and then they go to Edmonton. And hard to imagine that the Blues can win both of those games on the road. So they really need to take advantage of these next three the rest of this week. Toronto today, Islanders Thursday night, at Detroit on Saturday. But, man, it's hard for me to imagine that the Blues are going to be able to put together three good efforts in a row based on what I've seen. But you don't know, because then all of a sudden they can bounce back today and just look like a completely Mm -hmm. electric team, and you'll say, well, what was that? That just happened this weekend. It doesn't really make much sense. And I thought it was interesting, too, that Curb specifically pointed out those two-on-one situations. You had the one with um, Marco Scandella, correct? That Mm -hmm. was what he was talking about. And then you also had the other one with Pavel Buchnevich, where you just keep seeing the Blues passing up on some prime shooting opportunities where it's like they're waiting for certain situations to arise where it's like, no, you are the situation. Go ahead and shoot the puck. (laughs) How many people watch the game and say, shoot the puck? What are you waiting for? And that's something that I feel like you keep seeing happening in these games where you have these losses like this, where it's like they're waiting for some other opportunity to arise when they are the opportunity. They should be creating those opportunities. It's one of the strangest things about sports now and this Blues team now. What's the complaint that we make about a guy like Josh Hader? That he's too selfish, that he's not concerned about the team, that he's only about himself. How can the Blues have all of these young players that don't want to shoot and, ergo, don't want to score? That's the only way you're going to score. To me, there should be guys that are passing up passes mm-hmm. rather than passing up shots. It's really a weird conundrum. It's weird. It is very weird that you keep seeing it happening over and over again. And this isn't just something that came up with Drew Bannister. It's something that we saw with the Blues, even with Craig Berube. So it has to be something specifically with the players. Wouldn't you mm-hmm. believe that? Yeah. And it's, is it just a confidence thing at that point? Maybe it, maybe that's it. And Thomas is shooting more. Tom, of Thomas, course. Thomas yeah. is tied for the league, le- the team leading goals now. But when you look at the people that, in my opinion, should be the guys that shoot the most, Kairou has 175 shots by a wide margin, the most on the team. And I think we can argue, agree that early in the season he was snake bitten. Yes. 
you go down the list. Uh, we expect Pareko to shoot a lot, especially a defenseman. And he's got 101 shots. Justin Falk, now he hasn't played in every game. He's missed a lot, but he's he's only got 90. Brandon Saad has played in every game and only has 87 shots on goal. There's a guy that passes up opportunities. Torpchenko needs to shoot more. He's got a lot of skill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got 70 shots this season. Uh, I just think that there's a lot of guys on this team where they just need to be more selfish. And by the way, the highest shooting percentage on the team, Nadub, scores on 26.3% of his shots, and then Neighbors, and then Thomas. So uh, those guys should be, and they're shooting a lot, they should be shooting a lot. Nathan Walker is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, only... And there's nothing wrong with that, but no, don't it, you believe that it should be maybe some of the other players? Yes, because you perceive... Because he doesn't have that much... I, I'm assuming right. he wouldn't have as much ice time as some of the other guys. Average time on ice for Nadub is 11.05. Diving into the Cairo numbers, it is actually crazy, though. If you look at the Blues' last five losses, uh, he has one shot in four of those five losses. The only one where he doesn't is this last one against Nashville where he had four. But yeah, the the, the previous four losses, that's the Flyers, the Capitals, uh, the Blue Jackets, and the Maple Leafs. One shot in each of those games for Cairo. And it's bracketed by games with seven, four, five, eight. Eight. So he gets shots off when the team gets going, but he's definitely, you know, that's definitely something that pops out when they do lose is that Kairou isn't the one getting the shots off, I think. I was just going to say, I, I would expect that when Jordan Kairou is going, he should get five yes. shots a game. Yeah. I right? agree. Five or six, two shots. Is it two it's all much? over the place. You go yeah. back to all their losses, and it's like two shots, three shots, one shot, and then you see it all wins. Nine shots, five mm-hmm. shots, seven shots. It's he, he he either the offense goes when he gets going or he's able to just to run with when the offense kind of gets going. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's got to be one of the two. And then even too, if you go back to that third period, I mean, they were down two to one, and then that game just mm-hmm. got completely out of hand. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand that. And does that go back to the connectivity and lack of energy? Because then we were just praising them a couple of days ago. Was that on Friday for that game that they played, where they were able to make some adjustments from the first period that was not good to the second period? How could you not do the same in third period when the game is that close? A two-to-one game in hockey seems like nothing. That doesn't guarantee anything. This kind of hurts, but tell me if you think I'm accurate here. I think that Ryan O'Reilly dragged Nashville into the fight, and they didn't quit playing, Mm -hmm. and they were relentless, and I don't think the Blues were relentless. To me, Ryan O'Reilly was so visible, especially in that third period. He was. And the Blues just didn't match the work ethic or intensity of the Predators. No, I 100% agree with you. And once again, that was a desperate Predators team, and they played like it, and the Blues didn't have an accurate response, which kind of concerns me when we're talking about the playoffs. And Curb said it earlier, that felt, from here on out for the Blues, every game is like a playoff game. So we are measuring your performance based on how you are coming into these games. And that's very concerning when you have that performance against the Predators. And once again, Jordan Bennington, the goaltending has been a huge highlight, not just for the Blues this season, but I would say even more specifically in the past few months, wouldn't Mm -hmm. you agree? And Jordan Bennington has been a big part of that, but he also can't be your superhero every single game. And I think we saw that in that game, where he can't save you in every single situation. Yeah, and you just can't, you can't fall behind. You can't be chasing the game. And the Blues... We're doing that, mm-hmm. and that's something I know Drew Bannister is working on. And ultimately, you know, we, we talk about this team. Maybe we have unrealistic expectations about what this team is capable of. Maybe that, at the end of the day, is what our issue is: is that we expect them to be better than they really are. Yeah, 
I don't know. I but we've seen them be really freaking good, so I, I want to see yeah. that version consistently. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I'm not expecting it every single game. It's just that when you lose in that manner, when there's so much on the line, including having you know a better chance with the wild card. I know they still hold that wild card position, that second one, but you could have been six points in front of the Predators had yeah. you won that game. We just want to see more consistent effort. That's all we're we're asking for, really, is more yes. consistent effort, and it's. Uh, it's just not there. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, yesterday Hideki Matsuyama won the Gen- the Henesis Invitational. The Henesis. Yeah. The Henesis Cabrera Invitational. Yeah. I didn't uh, realize he was so big you know, in golf. Yeah, it's a big time. <laughs> but does uh, this came up at, at golf.com. Does Or maybe it was the athletic. Does the PGA Tour have a juice problem? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Interesting goings on in the golf world. Tiger was supposed to play this weekend and he suffered the flu and withdrew on Friday. Jordan Spieth because of the stupidest rule in all of sports, <laughs> signed uh, an inaccurate scorecard. Everybody in the world knows. We've got computers. We've got television paying attention. But if a golfer signs uh, an incorrect scorecard, he gets DQ'd. It's it's worse than the NFL's fumble out of the end zone rule. It, it's the stupidest rule in sports. Thank you. I, I really, it's hard to top the NFL one, by the way. Yeah. But I 100% agree with you because when I saw that, I was like, well, what mistake did he make? Wait, that's what he did? Seriously? So one of your- Why can't you just look past it? I understand that you know, he had a great tweet that he put out there where he held himself accountable. He said the right things. But come on. It's is really this really stupid. what you need to do? And if you're golf, you want to disqualify Jordan Spieth, one of your most visible, yeah. one of your most eye-catching players? You, you really change the eye rule, Eye candy, PGA. if you will. Yeah, no doubt. You said eye-catching. So, oh, oh, eye, eye candy. Yeah, eye candy guy. Whatever. <laughs> uh, Hideki Matsuyama won yesterday. Luke List was second. Will Zellatoris third. Adam Hadwin was fourth. And then Xander Shoffley and Pat. Patrick Cantley. But there was an interesting piece at The Athletic where they talked about one of the problems that the PGA Tour is dealing with. And they say it's not really anyone's fault. It's not even clear whether it's true. But something strange has been happening on the PGA Tour. All six tournaments before this weekend have been won by a long shot. Literally. They've been won by the so-called randoms, the mules, as some in the golf world like to refer to them. Chris Kirk, Grayson Murray, Nick Dunlap, Matthew Pavon, Wyndham Clark, Nick Taylor. All six have entered the tournament at odds of 100 to 1 or greater. Five of the six entered the week outside of the official world golf ranking top 50. The only winner inside that top 50, Clark, won without a final round. He was at Pebble Beach where the final round was washed out. And last week, Brooke, down the stretch, Liv had Dustin Johnson who won their tournament, John Rahm and Bryson on the leaderboard on Sunday. And with Tiger Ailing and Rory McIlroy's game struggling, how much could the Tour use those guys now? Because as much as I like the players that were on the list yesterday, I look at the three live guys that were in the hunt the week before as much bigger stars than what the PGA Tour has run out for us in their first seven weeks this year. You mean Matsuyama? With six birdies on the back nine, didn't move the needle for you? It, 
the play did and <laughs> the fact that you. yeah yeah and, and, I, and he's at least yeah. won a masters we yeah. know who he is but man those other guys i i gotta tell you and, and i pay attention to golf i only peripherally know the guys that we just mentioned yes chris kirk Really didn't know him at all. Grayson Murray, really didn't know him at all. Nick Dunlap, I thought his family made golf balls. Matthew Pavon, <laughs> I did know Wyndham Clark. And then Nick Taylor. I mean, all of these guys, and here are their odds coming into the tournament. 100 to 1, 300 to 1, 400 yeah. to 1, 150 to 1, 100 to 1, 100 to 1. I think that Matsuyama was 200 to 1 yeah. to win. Mm-hmm. And he was coming back from injuries. Exactly. Coming back from injuries. And I know that he had won the Masters. By the way, one of my favorite Masters menus of all time because he had nigiri on there. Mm-hmm. And sashimi and also A5 Wagyu steak, which is a brilliant move on his part. But you're right. He's not exactly a name that you think of right off the bat. And this is why I was so excited to have Tiger Woods back around. Even if it was just on a month-by-month basis, mm-hmm. I was excited to have him back around the game because even with Tiger around, you're starting to learn some of these other guys even more, like who he might be paired with, different things like that. But he also brings a lot more attention to the game. And it's just really sad to see whatever all happened with him. You had the back spasms and then the flu that happened with him. It's really concerning that we're starting out this season where I thought that we would get to see him a lot more. Mm-hmm. That's how we're starting this out. Right. And the fact that no stars are winning, there's nobody that is drawing your attention to the PGA Tour on a Sunday afternoon. And it's not like Brooks Kepka was going to be playing the big tournaments, although a lot of people really like Riviera. They think this is uh, the, the best tournament that's not a major. But it sure would be nice to have those recognizable stars. I got to tell you, the people, even on the, on the leaderboard yesterday, if I am in a grocery store or in a restaurant and I see Luke List. I don't say, oh, uh, there's Luke List or Will Zelatoris or Adam Hedwood. I, I know Shoffley. I know Cantley. Uh, I, I know Jason Day. I know Matsuyama. But but even you're starting to go down on the list yeah, even more. So. And there, those people have to build brands. I guess that's the biggest thing. Do you think it's a problem for the PGA Tour that their biggest brands are now on the Live Tour? It is a problem. And this is why... I wanted and was hoping for some sort of merger to come about Mm -hmm. because it's better for the game in general. It's better for golf in general to have all these stars working together. But now in this situation where it seems like the door isn't completely closed with Live Golf, does this give Live more leverage in this situation, knowing that they kind of hold on to these big stars that people do enjoy watching? But they don't have anybody in the world golf ranking. So as these guys who are in their 30s or 40s start to fade a little bit, nobody on the Live Tour is going to earn points to get into majors. So... And that's why I wanted some sort of merger mm -hmm. between these two, where they were able to come together. That would help a lot in the near term. In the long term, though, for me, the PGA needs some young guys to step up. Morikawa needs to be consistently great. Spieth needs to be consistently great. I know that uh, JT wasn't there this weekend, but their stars need to be stars. And then somebody needs to win three or four tournaments or win a major, like Wyndham Clark. You know, they, (laughs) they, they need somebody else to be great that people will have some attachment to, that they can go, okay, I want to watch that guy play on a Sunday afternoon in L.A. or in Ponte Vedra, Florida or whatever. There, there needs to be more star power on the PGA Tour, and there's two ways to do it. Either merge with Liv and get those guys back without penalty, or develop your own stars. And it's really hard now, with as much parity as there is in the sport, to develop stars.
you need another Tiger Woods. You need another exciting young player mm-hmm. like that who's just absolutely, of course, nobody I ever expect. Do you ever think that there will be anybody who could change the game like Tiger Woods no. did? No, no, I don't think so whatsoever. And so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in the way of having some, a young star just really rise, especially no. a U.S. star. I think that that's very important here yeah. when it comes to TV ratings and all the different kind of stuff. A young U.S. star that can really rise to the ranks. There's one guy that I think can do it. Can you guess? Colin Morikawa. Okay. And he finished seven on, uh, six under for the tournament. He finished in 19th place. Morikawa has won majors. He mm-hmm. has the ability. He has the look. He has the maturity. I, I think Morikawa has everything you need. He just needs to play better. He does. Yeah. But, I was expecting a big season, which we're still very early on the season. Yeah. I was expecting a big season for him. From the 217, real quick. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Did I was you just going to say, him? the tour also needs Rory to play well. Yes. That is a big part of it. From the 217, imagine splitting the NFL talent down the middle and not being able to watch Justin Herbert play Patrick Mahomes. Right. That's what we're talking about. It is. And that's what golf is running into. And that's that's a problem. I was, I, I was intrigued by the article at The Athletic, and I, I just wonder if... Maybe what Liv did, even though they don't have a real business plan, if what they did, because they wanted to injure the PGA Tour beyond repair, I wonder if it's worked for them. Brody Miller, by the way, wrote the piece at The Athletic. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with a little edition of Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. All right, I just solved the problem. Looks okay. like she needs eye candy on the PGA Tour. Oh, I didn't say Got that. It. So uh, what you need to do that. is you need to go to GQ and find the article, the 20 hottest male models on Instagram right now, and find <laughs> the best golfer and just put them on tour. Uh, Randy... You might need to tell them that golf is very hard to get into because I've been learning that the hard way. So I don't know if the good looks could just help them in that regard. Just let's get the best golfer. But you're just talking about having yeah. some eye candy out there that gets the attention yeah. of people. Yeah, I, I think it's necessary. So who is your celebrity that you think, if you could, they're good enough to play on the tour? Maybe not fantastic, but you're going to pay attention to. Who's the celebrity that you think would really move the needle? Okay. I don't know about the handsomeness of the guy but i think he would move the needle on the tour and he's okay. a really good golfer okay aaron Rodgers. oh he would he yeah. would talk a lot you would have to put a mic on him at yes. all times he which he would he embrace says. yeah yeah he would he, he doesn't care what he says that would be a good i was and that's what i was saying is that i enjoy when patrick mahomes golfs and when josh allen golfs mm-hmm. because they're so funny and they mic them up in so many different situations is that an idea for golfers to so we can get to know them a little bit better but i can't see the golfers being on board with that no it's pretty hard although uh occasionally they do it they did it this weekend and the golfer actually kept his ifb and while he was taking a shot i think it's very rare that a lot yeah. of them would do that but if you could convince them that it's for the betterment of the game mm-hmm. maybe and especially if you have a personality mm-hmm. somebody that is willing to be outspoken <laughs> there'd be nothing be worse than somebody who's very quiet and then it's just nothing oh yeah <laughs> here i am lining up a putt on number seven it's gonna break a little six inches left right 
Yeah, that is, to have a guy doing the golf voice would not be good. All right, Matthew, what do you got for uh, the rock and roll segment here? Ooh. Well, in both in rock and roll and uh, what do you what are they talk? I'm sorry, what are you talking about? No, we changed the name. Of it. What is it again? No, 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 no. You're. I, I'm sorry, I interrupted. But somebody uh, sent in from three and four Adam Sandler on your tour. That would that would be fun. Happy Gilmore. Yes. But yeah, we 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 have a lot of odd uh, audio from college coaches this year and a lot of time it's been it's been football coaches who had a really weird fall well basketball coaches are having a really weird spring here's rick patino after his team's recent (laughs) loss i don't think they move well laterally i don't think they're gonna pick it up in next week Uh, i think they're slow laterally i mean sean conway gives you everything he can he's slow laterally about five guys are slow laterally even even the celtics when we lost i've enjoyed every minute being a boston celtic coach didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year but this has been the most unenjoyable experience i've had since i've been coaching do you have any second thoughts of taking this job no not at all it's not st john's it's my team i think they're very respectful they hear but they don't listen it's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes actually two months to throw bounce passes just thinking of getting ready for georgetown because georgetown could definitely beat us i'm not even thinking of the future at all I'm just thinking of the next game and the next game and the next game, and that's it. Fin- uh, just try to get as many wins as you possibly can and represent St. John's in the best fashion you can. Credit to ESPN for putting that smash cut together a very long, very odd press conference from Rick Pitino. Did he also make a comment about Missouri? Did yeah, you see he, that? Yeah, he made a point about it. Yeah, if you're Missouri, you can put like nine slow guys together and win some games. But he goes, we're just so unathletic. We can't win these games right now. It was a really weird that shot was, of Missouri. Yeah. yeah, that was just a random straight yeah. Missouri. But maybe he was just trying to make more of a point of whatever he has going on there. Where is the strategic benefit in a post-game <laughs> comment like that? Can, well, can you guys explain that to calling me? Your player, he, just, <laughs> he can't move laterally quick. Yeah, He brought My in... Name. A dozen guys in the transfer portal. These are all his players. So what the hell's the problem? If, if you ask me, he's the problem. <laughs> that's where. I, that's why I'm asking, what is the strategic yeah. benefit? Where do you go from here? Or what do you think he says to the players when he's in the room with them? Because if that's what he's saying out in the public, I can't imagine. <laughs> Listen, also, I think maybe we owe, we owe Ali Marmol a little bit of an apology because if this is what Rick Pitino's doing, calling out just one guy for not going around the bag fast enough, doesn't really seem that bad in retrospect. And come on. He's had worse moments oh, in his college coaching career. Oh, well, I don't know about that. He's had worse You know what, though? It didn't last as long. Who was the player that uh, <laughs> had the uh, the broken leg? Sure, he, he had that guy. But you know what? Oh, uh, Peyton. Uh, that wasn't Peyton Siva, but it was that class. It was that. It was that. Yeah, it was that Louisville team. And I'm yeah. blanking on who. So Russ that, Smith. That was, that was Smith, a bad moment. Was. But then oh. he's had the 15 seconds of glory, too. So he's got. He's fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Where do they go Kevin from Ware. here? Kevin, where? There you go. Yeah, where do they go from here? That like was that you just really a different it. team. <laughs> like, how do you want? Do you want to play for a coach after he talks about you like that publicly in a press conference? No. I mean, we talked talk about Tyler O'Neill getting sick of the comments from Marmol, and again, that that was. I mean, he called that guy out. Just bl- he's not. He's never going to be laterally quick enough. That's a rough thing to do. Old coaches and uh, veteran coaches, George Tortorella, last week saying that. It we're a dumb league, things like this with Patino, it really makes me appreciate people like Dennis Gates and Eli Drinkwitz who mm-hmm. understand what they're dealing with. The best coaches are the ones that are adapting to the new personality of the athlete in 2024. And it's completely different than what they dealt with even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, pre 
social media. It's a completely different animal that they're dealing with. And I appreciate the guys that embrace it because I couldn't. I would be more like Tortorella or Patino. Where you say it's a dumb lady. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, Josh Hader drives me crazy. Yeah. A, a guy who says, yeah, it's uh, any any player that I have that is not all about winning would drive me crazy. And I I, I know Patino and uh, Tortorella are, are feeling the same way. And, and Chief Craig Ruby is the same way too, right? It's it's hard to adjust to players that are playing sports but aren't doing so trying to win the game. And to me, I thought Craig Bruby was very well aware of the changes. He's not like Torts, in my opinion, in the way of where he's saying this is a dumb league and young players are taking over. I think that there were some frustrations that were clear from Craig Bruby, right. but then he was also willing to adjust. The new coaches that he brought in were specifically younger, so he could connect with his younger players. Right. More. I do think there's frustration there because of course. You, when he played, everything was geared towards winning. And yeah. now it doesn't appear to be the case anymore. No. But you're right. He didn't vocalize that. So so that's good. Uh, is T-Mac back today? Tim McKernan back oh, with wow. a balloon party. Oh, we haven't seen him in a while. No. We'll have to give him a big giant hug. Where was hug. he, by the way? Bahamas. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was having a good time. I, Didn't I they say that you're not supposed to go to Bahamas, or am I just imagining that? Wasn't there a warning? Yeah, but he's, yeah. People are going there and losing their heads. Oh, I'm glad he's back. Is it back. Bahamas or Mexico? It, I think I believe that Nassau, which is the, the capital of the Bahamas, I believe recently got a... Uh, Got warning, problems. like travel advisory warning that there's because okay. there's been. But he's some back. Crime. I'm glad he's back, and yeah, he's here in one piece. Yeah, he made it. So uh, we'll we'll have him with the balloon party coming up. Uh, T Mac and Ajax, great job today by our producer, audio, video engineer, the only one and only Matthew Rocky. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. Show us your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? Danny Mack will be back with us tomorrow. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great President's Day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.